we're gonna be talking about just quickly um yeah our our favorite albums you know the music that we were we were bumping to when we were traveling or jogging or walking right or just vibing out or just enjoying ourselves and or just calming our minds right you know these were the, these were the albums that 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 you know kept us seen you know throughout uh, at least for me uh rather hectic here rather problematic and kind of iffy here, right so it is what it is but yeah, um, I, I know, pro- I know, Ricardo, you probably do have a long list as me because I have 20. Yeah. You know, not going to do 25 yeah, no. this year because, yeah, yeah for some reason, my... I just didn't really get to listen to a lot of albums, right? And, you know, right. yeah, like, yes, there's the five or stuff that I do, right? And some of the five or stuff do show up here on this list, right? But, like, when new releases come out, I just didn't get around to checking them because of time. Like, I'm sorry. Like, case in point, I did not check out Pink Friday 2. I wanted to, but. Right. I, I just didn't get the time. Like, 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 I'm sorry, right? You know, so it is what it is. So apologies if your favorite albums aren't on this list, though, but we're just talking about the ones that we did get the time to, to, to listen to, right? So, Ricardo, right. take it away if you don't mind. You want to share your list? Sure. Yeah, my quick list is quite short. So, uh, yeah, uh, Nas Magic Tree, right? Love all right, that. All right, all right. Yeah, I, uh, this guy, Yami Bekani. I just generally listen to his music. I really like that dude. He's a French dude, I think. Uh, okay, well, what, what, what's, what genre? Like, I want to say, boy, soul. I want to say a soul. Yeah, I don't listen to it. It's, it's popular. It get popularized because of TikTok, but I don't listen to many. Right. And you have like a, a, a kind of weird lisp to sing, you know, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, he, he hard. Um, three stacks. Uh, Andrew 2000. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, new, new Blue Sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Um, Local, local boy. Mike Wise, the degree of real difficulty. Really light album. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, well, you know, you remind me of it, and I was like, I didn't know, I didn't know the album came out this year. I thought it came out last year. Um, but yeah, Birds, Bees, Clouds, and Trees, like that. Harrison, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Um, Amari, Fountain Baby, she's a like a soul singer as well, right? All right. And then uh, last on the um, on the thing, Tara Jackson. Why does the bird give us people to love? I you know, I've really heard a lot album. of great things about that, you know, my, but great I album, didn't get yes. the time. <laughs> yeah, great album. That really, really dug this. Yeah, that's a. That, didn't really listen to too much other than that this year, other than the general older music that on my phone or classical music or something like that. Nice about it. All right, all right. So mm-hmm. um, I have a few honorable mentions this year. So uh, Magic Tree from Nas is there. Um, you know, I, I liked it for what it was and how sentimental and, you know, uh, nostalgic it was, right? Uh, right? But there's another Nas that's on this um, list and it's kind of obvious which one it is, right? Uh, Buster right. Rhymes Blockbuster. I thought that was that was pretty solid right. as well. You know, nice. it was it was it was Buster Rhymes basically hopping on, you know, uh, more trendy urban sounds. So whether it's like Afrobeat or whatever, and, and collaborating with um with with newer artists as well too. And I think that for a guy like him at his age, you know, that's what he needs to do to keep himself fresh in the game, right? And lastly, um, I really wanted this to be on my list, but unfortunately. But uh, uh, there, there's a reason why. But you know, uh, when we get to this proper, you'll know. Uh, Mike Wise and Rook Beats, Mad Scene, right? Really, really enjoy that. Um, seven is one of my favorite songs of the year. It, that's the last track, and actually the seventh track off of that record there. But yeah, again, I really wanted to put it on my on my top twenty list, way. But uh, slight spoiler: there's another one that actually shows up. So that's why I had no choice but to exclude it. But in no way does it does that mean that it's a terrible album. Cause no, it's 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 fantastic, right? So number twenty, Andrew Two Thousand, New Blue Sun. Oh, Who'd have thought nice. that, that that tree stacks would introduce a lot of people to ambient music, right? So right. yeah, yeah. Um it's just so atmospheric and so moody. 
just the kind of stuff you just want to like lay back to and relax to after a long hard day of work you know like you just want to vibe out before you go to sleep or what that you know what I mean it's that kind of stuff right um the, yeah. the, the, the titles of these tracks are ridiculous but it's just really you know the vibe though and i'll just close this though andrew really has a, a future as an arranger right just being able to collaborate with all yeah. these these musicians and just get the best out of them even though primarily they are jam sessions right but it's just the stuff that the, that that we get out of it it's just so smooth and laid back though so i had to put this on my list right number 19 magic 2 from nas right um totally enjoy that um more than three to be honest right you know people will say three is better but i, I actually prefer two um it was just so fun but it's still it, it was fun and it was vibrant and you know just you know it was just again it was nas and hit boy just coming back together right so you could tell that you were just having a blast together and i just love the fact that it was just um mad, um it was hit boy throwing all these different beats at nas and this nas finding ways to just make them work for him and i thought that yeah it was just fantastic from top to bottom um you know the the the, the 50 cent versus is questionable but he was having fun so i'll give him a pass for that he was having fun with that right he was having fun with that right uh number 18 had to go to england for this one slow tie ugly right slow tie is, is a is a guy i've been following for a while now um when it comes to like um the uk grime scene though but just the way how he looks and just the way how he raps and talks and all that kind of stuff you could tell that you know his heart is with the punk scene right and yeah with this one he leaned a lot into post-punk music so yeah there's more of a rock element hit right and i thought that it totally works right especially with the team of just him just being all introspective and uh, introspective sorry and yeah just sort of like self-loading in a sense like yeah you know i feel like shit and i don't understand why i feel like shit but i understand why i feel like shit at the same time too right and him kind of like just going through the muck and the mire and just kind of coming out of it like yeah you know once i really take care of myself i could be better right so it's cathartic it's very dark um emotionally it's brutal at times but it totally works right and you really really see like yeah just the the artistry in this guy um you know of, of, of sota in this guy right number 17 my first and only soundtrack on this on, on this um let's say metro Boomin presents spider-man oh, yeah, across nice. the spider-verse nice. here's nice. the thing with yeah. this right i forget about that, I forget about that. <laughs> so i would just listen to the soundtrack right you know once the movie came out and um i listened to the soundtrack after i saw the movie right so it's like all right this song is here blah 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 right and you know i was just like taking in the vocals and like yeah you know they're cool you know um you know the song's cool right but then metro Boomin decided to bless us with an instrumental version of this and that's when the that's when the whole thing clicked for me boy that's when because you know i always really dug metro Boomin, right but like when i really like sat down and took in the beats themselves right that's when i really like gained a, a real respect like a like a bigger understanding of his craft and whatnot right so yeah the instrumentals really make me love this this soundtrack even more boy because yeah this is some of the best instrumentals that i've heard in a long while right it, it's just so well done right and yeah i mean just performance wise everybody just kills it whether it's nas or nas morales or you know um what is it you know whether it's asap rocky or just there's a slew of guests that are on this record here right but to me the key to all this is metro Boomin and how he just keeps everything afloat and yes that's a fantastic soundtrack for a fantastic movie right number 16 an artist that a lot of people may not have heard of but you really should get on board mckinley dixon beloved paradise jazz right i i didn't even know about this guy till um you know well spectrum pulse and needle drop those are two music youtube youtubers that i follow they really put me up they, they put right. me onto this guy um and what he does so well right so it's not it's jazz rap on the surface right 
but it's just this, for lack of a better term, poetic approach that McKinley has to his subject matter, right? To his music, right? It's just so dense and so layered, just like the music itself, right? There's a lot of layers to what he says, right? And, you know, I, I love that. I love the challenge in, in that too, right? But the, the album itself is so short. It, it's short, right? But it just packs such a wallop, though, you know what I mean? In terms of the emotion, in terms of the themes and whatnot. Um, and, in, and the music, though, is just so organic and rich and just so, just moving, emotionally moving, right? So, yes, fantastic record. Don't sleep on this record, right? Number 15. One that I thought you would have put on your list, Ricardo, and if you didn't listen to it, shame on you, guy thought you was a fan. L. Michael's Affair and Black Thought, Glorious Game. Guy, remember, yeah. you put me on to L. Michael's, uh, Michael's Affair with uh, with the Entity Two Seven Chamber so stuff, I, right? Yeah. I, from I from the very beginning of this podcast, yes, you put me on my to it, right? Yeah. Okay, so my brain, my brain didn't have the worst memory because that was this year? That was this year, yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Should I be on the list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I never thought that a guy like him, who I, I mean, I wasn't following up his work, right? But like, right. I always dug his production, and I thought like production, why he killed it on this, right? And of course, it's Black Thought, who like Nas turned fifty yeah. this year. Yeah, just coming through with just just effortless flows, and you know, just how he approaches you know subject matter, like you know his 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 roots, so to speak, right? Um, yeah. you know, race, you know, the black experience, all that kind of stuff, right? And just like just this lead back jazzy vibe though just even the the, the, um, the title um track though it's just so laid back like i love the the, the vocals on the hook by the way right so yeah excellent album it's just a mood piece but it totally works right number 14 didn't expect that we would we have gotten this here and this is actually a uh, well i should say um uh, a continuation of what was for me uh what is sorry uh my second favorite album of 2021 uh, Tyler the Creator, Call Me If You Get Lost, the estate scene, right? So this was him pretty much giving us an EP of unreleased material. And yeah, it's, it's just as good, if not great, than the, than the actual album itself, right? Um, yeah. And you know, it's just Tyler doing what he does best, just evolving with his sound, you know what I mean? Um, whether it's, you know, with you know with the Pharrell worship, with the kind of pop rap thing, but also doing yeah. his whole jazz rap stuff and lyrically what he's doing and all that too totally works for me it kind of um, expands the whole you know luxuriousness of it all like you know i've made it i'm rich but you know it's still the come up too like you know there's there's still a lot of things a lot of baggage that i have to deal with still you know it, there's still that resonant in the music right but yeah you know from start to end the estate seal is just a vibe though it's just so laid back yeah i'll use this to my lot too but it is what it is right yeah just so laid back smooth and yeah just just a great listen from start to end right number 13 you brought it up already because I mentioned to you Harrison, Birds, Bees, The Clouds and the Trees. Absolutely yep. enjoy this album though. Um, and this was my introduction to, to Harrison as well. Um, I didn't know this guy had it like that though. He sensed that this man have a way of making beats thread that have this sort of nostalgic vibe to do. Like every beat have it almost feels like it sort of opens up some sort of memory like something that some experience in your life some place that you were in something that you experienced and it just captures that vibe though even though the tracks might be fairly short or they might have like a a, a feature like say guilty simpson or whatnot right but yeah though just the beats themselves just sort of capture a sort of an emotion though or kind of vibe right i don't know about you but for me 2016 is the best track though it is just such a smooth nocturnal beat that I could just dance to, you know what I mean? But yeah, I, yeah. I, I love, 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 love this track. I did not, I, I, I would have slept on this if you didn't bring it up actually in one of our episodes of BBB Radio this year. I wouldn't have even known who, who this guy was. So yeah, thank you so much for putting me on Tim, right? Number 12, 
We have Heezy Hines with Exit Wounds, right? You know, fantastic nice, EP nice. from Heezy. Um, you know, just... And I'll bring him up later on this, right? To those slight spoiler, right? But just lyrically, though, what he does, how he rhymes with the pockets and all that kind of stuff is so superb, though. Just technically how he does that, right? And his beat selection is great. Um, Time, for me, is one of my favorite songs of this record and one of my favorite songs of the year, though. Just how he flows in that is so great. You know, there's the references that he makes to other rappers and other albums and all that kind of stuff is great. It's not just technical wordplay, but, you know, he also gets a little um, in-depth as well, too. You know, just, 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 the, just the amount of stuff that he does here is, is, is just so great. And, you know, he just does it in such a, a compact package, right? So it's like that. Uh, number 11. Um, an album that um, I didn't expect to enjoy so much though, but I did. Uh, Grandad Wooly, or OITO, that's O-I-T-O, that's an acronym for Once Infinity Takes Over. It's a double disc album, so we have Red and Blue. Um, Grandad Wooly, for those who don't know, is a YouTuber that I used to follow back in the days, right? Um, he used to cover rap albums, and he's also a rapper as well too, right? But he sort of put that his channel on pause and now he's with dead end hip-hop right now he talks about albums and games there right so i always knew that he was a rapper and he always loved rap right but i never listened to a project from him right but this one boy felt like a perfect introduction to his work though i like that it is a come up story it is basically well you know um he's a father now you know he has a kid and just about his experiences in you know just Staying true to who he is and just being a creative, you know, staying true to rap and all that kind of stuff. You feel that struggle. I, I, I can relate to this in more ways than one, even though I'm not a rapper, right? But I am a content creator, so I know that feeling, right? But just knowing that, you know, just and just the idea of, you know, wanting to sacrifice your creativity for a nine to five and the the, the, the the temptation involved and all that kind of stuff. And him just saying no, but I really want to make this work not just for myself, but for my family, right? So it's just so emotionally resonant, right? But there's a lot of like great tracks as well too. There's a lot of bops like he actually has a track called Bob Barker, which I absolutely love. I think that track is great. The beat is fire in my opinion. And yeah, it's just Grandad Wooly just showing just how great of a rapper he is, right? Is the come up story, is the underdog story that really makes it work, right? And now we have the top 10. Just run through these quickly, right? So number 10, we have Mike Day and Third House Wakefield. Fantastic record from Mike Day. You know, I, I, I interviewed him in my um, Hip Hop Sub 10 special, well, sorry, uh, podcast. Um, he hooked up with producer Third House. And he just did this record, which is just basically a tribute to his hometown. Basically, he's just coming back home. And, you know, it's just this sort of a semi-autobiographical look at, you know, his life and experiences there. Um, the change he wants to make there, not just as a rapper, but also as a filmmaker. Because, yes, he actually has his own, um, you know, studio. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say studio. He has his own company, Division Films, you know what I mean? And it's just the positive change that he wants to make in his hometown. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I have to come to terms with the good and the bad that exists here. Whether it's in the past or the present. But here I am now, and I could actually make a positive change, right? And I love that. I, I think that's a really strong team, and it just drives the entirety of this record. So absolutely love this, right? Right, right. Number nine. A record that I was thinking a lot of people would have jumped on to because of the two, the two names involved. But yeah, I got onto it, and yeah, I thought it was fire. Talib Kweli and Mad Lib, Liberation 2. Yes, the, 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 the duo reunite after like what? I, I think it's what, 2006 or 2007 when they did Liberation, the first one. But yeah, they came back strong with this one. If you remember, you know, Blackstar, that would be Taliban, you know, Mostef, you know, came back and reunited with Mad Lib on their last record, um, No Fear of Time. But yeah, this one, it was just Taliban Mad Lib alone. I mean, um, I seen most of Yasin Bey wasn't there. That wasn't really a, a big letdown for me. Malib came with some great jazzy, you know, um, 
you know, beats and whatnot. And Tyler Quali once again shows why he is one of the goats when it comes to rap, man. He just came and did his damn thing, right? So, yes, Liberation 2, definitely check that out. Number eight, I, ha I, I never thought I'd incorporate a Christmas album into this, or I should say a Christmas EP into this. But here we are, folks. It's 2023, right? So a lot of surprises. Dookie Bros, Merry Shitmas, the EP, right? So this is a Canadian duo. It consists of franchise and Shiny Beat Yoda. I've actually interviewed Shy before. I've, I've wrote about this work before on Fiverr. And yeah, they have this group called Dookie Brothers or Dookie Bros, which, which is basically this this um, hardcore hip-hop group. So it's really leaning towards like 90s hardcore hip-hop, right? And yeah, they just decided out the blue, hey, we're going to do a Christmas record. And they actually did it. And it's great. It's one of the best Christmas rap albums I've ever heard, right? Or EPs or whatever, right? And it's really because, not just because of the lyrics though, but also the production. Um, Shy handles all of it. I thought that the production was great. Where it's nostalgic, well, it's not really nostalgic, but it samples like, you know, it, it does sampling of Christmas music so superbly. It doesn't just rely on this, you know, generic samples that's supposed to evoke nostalgia it, there's a lot more going on to it right and lyrically it again you know it's just the underdog story but they work it in into christmas and how they look at christmas and the experiences and all that kind of stuff and it's just like this nice subversion of what we expect from christmas music in general and they just did that so well over the course of like this you know um this this pretty short but just just fantastic ep from start to end man absolutely love this right number seven heezy hines Mike Wise, he's wise. Nice. Absolutely enjoy this one, man. Um, I didn't expect that they would actually do uh, a record together, but they came through. They shut shit down. Uh, Rhythms is one of my favorite songs of the year. Uh, Mike's first and um, Heezy's first in particular, uh, first of the year contenders, in my opinion. Yeah, that track. And that track with um, that's the track with Jelani in it. Um. Yes. Yeah. Um. And, um that, yeah. That. That. That one. Um. Oh gosh, yeah. That's the name of it right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, do, do, they, and it's just the chemistry that they had too, right? I just love the fact that it's a rapper from San Fernando and it's a rapper from New Jersey who may or may not have seen themselves in the flesh, but they can relate them. They can relate to each other in so many ways. So, and then when they come to the mic, though, they just come through with just this undeniable chemistry, though. Just so much witty bar, so much memorable lines and whatnot. The choice of beats were great though, and it, yeah, and it's not just you know wordsmith, you know it's just that it's not just wood play for the sake of it, but you really get some genuine emotion, though, especially from those last three tracks. So, so yeah, absolutely love this record. Had to add that in, right? Number six, we have Mike Flips, Nordic One, and Seas Life Cycles, right? So I've covered Nordic One's work before. He's a West Coast rapper, but in this case, he hooked up with two beat makers by the name of Mike Flips and and Seas. So in this case here. Yeah, it's basically as the title says, it's about, you know, one's life cycle, right? It's talking about, you know, you know, we we, we are born, we have a, a finite amount of time to do what we have to do on this earth, and then we die, right? And but how he how he explores this, I thought was pretty fast. He does well too, you know, this basically with his come up in the rap game, right? And staying true to who he is. Um, it's very nineties boom bap, right? That's what it is. If you if you're a fan of that, it, it totally works, right? But um, I like that just the beats themselves don't sound stale or don't sound nostalgic. They sound very fresh, right? Even though it does harken back to that 90s East Coast style when it comes to hip-hop production, right? And yeah, it's just that story that is being told, right? And it's not just like wearing it down with the idea of life and, you know, existentialism and all that, though. You get some bops in this as well, too. So it's just this really like, you know, laid-back kind of cut where you can just sort of like nod your head to the beats and the messages as well, too. So yeah, fantastic record, right? Number five, I actually covered it late last year, but the album itself came out in Jan uh, in February, sorry, right? And I had to bring this up too. 
uh, Terry Blade, Etos, son of a sharecropper, right? So I've been following and I've been covering Terry's work for a while now. Um, you know, just as far as just him being a, a, a queer um, R&B artist slash soul artist though. Yeah, um, he, he he's just fantastic, right? But I just love that, you know, with his records, he always finds way to, finds way, sorry, to explore his identity, right? To explore that experience of just, not just being, you know, um, queer, but also being black, uh, being, a, being a black American, sorry, right? In, you know, today's, you know, climate and whatnot, right? He always finds ways to just explore those things, right? And I think like with this one here, he kind of outdid himself, right? Because here, he's basically taking bluegrass, and blues and country music right so stuff that you would not associate black americans with in terms of creating it and yeah he makes it his own and you know he uses these ballads and uses these stories to you know explore his experiences and his own life and all that kind of stuff right and he just does that so well it's provocative it's superbly produced um but really at the end of the day it's terry though because he comes through with some of the best vocal performances like yeah I, like i've heard all year though it's just fantastic just across the board absolutely love this record right number four i'm, I'm kind of rooting for this to win a grammy for best rap album killer mike right. michael yes yes nice. yes i had to put yeah. killer mike on this too yes he came through with a great record here um very gospel in, in, in influence as well too which i really dug i love the production here and you know it's just killer mike yeah just just swing, showing sorry why he is one of the greats when it comes to not just southern hip-hop but just hip-hop in general right i like the fact that you know he only have one track with lp so you only get one run the jewels track but everything else though is still solid from top to bottom whether it's you know well you know from the production to the guest features you know what i mean um and it also features one of the best verses of the year from we boy andrew g thousand right you know he comes with a great first there you know what i mean so yeah great great album overall and i kind of rooted for this to win uh, best rap album i mean yes king's disease street could win but i think killer mike have a huge chance of winning here right and now we have the top three this one came out earlier this year um in in january and the moment it came out i was like this is an instant album of the year contender here so for my number three is sky zoo and the other guys mind of a saint so i've been following sky zoo for years now um he's probably one of the most underrated new york mcs ever in my opinion but he's just fun he's just superb he's just a superb lyricist right what this guy does here is actually does a concept album based off the tv series snowfall yes he does that right. yeah um, which i like so yeah sure. yeah so he actually plays the role of franklin saint right at hence the title right and he right. tells his story right it's basically yes I'm, I'm 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 you know might come up in the drug game and all that kind of stuff though so yes it's a lot of drug dealing stuff and, and talk and whatnot right but what the album does so well right in addition to doing all these references and calls to specific moments in the series itself right well unfortunately i have not seen the series so i don't think that i think he probably stopped at the second the last season i could be wrong but yeah he, he stops at a particular point so he doesn't stop at the series finale i know that for sure right but yeah what he really shows is just the downfall of this character the downfall of this lifestyle right and right. It, it culminates into in my opinion probably the most most chilling album closer i have heard all year right just the outro that final track every time i hear it it gives me chills right so what it just involves in a nutshell it's about the 80s right when this when the story was set and about the war on drugs right but where this album stops off though is quite 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 chilling though every time i hear it 
I just get goosebumps. Thinking about it right now, I just getting chills right now, right? It's just a fantastic album closer, though. So yeah, absolutely love this, right? Number two, um, you know, in, in, in another life, this would have been my number one way, but something ended up beating it, though. But yeah, um, I, I, this this is an easy top three for me, right? JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown scaring the hoes. <laughs> um, ever since JPEG Mafia went in the way, he just pretty much just show everybody, yo, I don't need a record label breathing on my neck to show me how dread I am. You know? And he proves that here, boy. He comes with some of the wildest, most adventurous beats I've ever heard from him, right? So I'll just let you know. I'll just, I'll just put, I'll just mention one, two tracks, right? Garbage Pail Kids is the hardest song I have heard all year. I'll, I'll put it like this, right? If you remember from um, How High, right? Where um, you had that moment where Redman had the had the speaker up to you know Method Man where you sleep and he's playing Do Hast, right? Yeah. Picture that with, with with Garbage Pail Kids and you'll understand where I'm coming from. This is the kind of song that you just want to wake people up to. You want to annoy the shit out of people with though. You crank that up to 1100 and you let that shit blast. It is amazing, right? And that, and it's, you know, it's not just on the production side, but JPEG Mafia raps as well too. You know, I like that, you know, he always mentions, you know, social media trolls and, you know, he always taking shots at them, right? But it's the pairing between him and Danny Brown that works. Because Danny Brown does that weird Yelp voice that he does. And it's just like in tune lyrically though. With just all these crass, vulgar, over-the-top vocals and, and lyrics. But it totally works, right? And the second vo- um, track I'm going to mention here too is Kingdom Hearts Key Tread. Which samples one of the best, one of the most memorable anime intro songs ever dread and he makes that into a certified banger i don't know how this guy did it but it's amazing if there's two tracks you need to listen to ricardo it's scaring the whole sorry it's garbage pale kids and scaring the host too because that's a that's a title track too and um kingdom hearts key wave like listen to kingdom hearts key in particular and tell me that's not the hardest shit you ever hear in your life dread. that's all i'll say right and I'm also gonna add the well the, the additional EP that they put out too, which is Scaring the Hose DLC pack. Yes, they decided to put out a four-track EP and it is just as goofy and over the top and entertaining EF as as the al- album itself, right? I'll put it like this and then I'll move on, right? This they actually incorporate a SpongeBob reference, right? That uh, a sample. Every time I hear that, I am cracking up over this. It's one of the funniest sample bits I've heard. In, in, in anything all the edge right so yes i had to put this well scare any hoes and the dlc pack here as my number two so if you're familiar with you know this podcast here it's kind of it's it's kind of obvious what my number one is right but i'll just give like a brief brief, brief rundown as to why it's up there right so i won't lie to you just creatively and life-wise um life-wise ha 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 right um this this was a very challenging year right um and there were there were a lot of moments where you know, I, I could have just thrown it in the towel and just given up, right? I could have just thrown it in right there, right? But, you know, they always like to say you're not alone, right? When you're feeling down or depressed or whatnot, you're not alone, right? There's something I don't like to hear, but it's 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 kind of true, right? And no other artist this year came and just basically says, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from, Dread, because I go through this as well, too. It's not easy for me to call myself TNT's lyricist. I'm going to show you behind the curtain as to how I really feel, and why I keep doing what it is I do, Dre. Why I keep putting up with this bullshit. Why I still pursue what I pursue. Yes, my number one pick for best album of 2023 
who said none other than Mike Weiss's The Degree of Difficulty. I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love this album, Joe. This album connected with me in a way that I did not expect. Um, yeah. Just thematically, just the idea of, yes, you're going to see my vulnerable side. Even though when I'm spitting raw rhymes at you, you're going to see that there is that underdog spirit in me. There, there is someone who wants to be listened to, want, someone who wants to be acknowledged, and yet will just be ignored because I'm a rapper from Trinidad, right? You know, but still, he just came through with some of the best bars I've heard all year. Um, shout out to Boga, though, for his production from start to end, though. Just right. stellar right. across the board, Trey. Just getting great verses from Profess, Lendor, um, Heezy Hind shows up as well on this too, right? And they everybody just kills it on this though. But again, it's just the, the heart of it, the vulnerability in it though that really connected me. I would say if you are creative, um, you would connect with this record in more ways than one. And for me, I needed this. I needed this album. I needed to understand that I'm not the only one who calls himself a creative and yet feels like yeah, why, why am I not taken seriously? Why can't I, you know, make a career out of this? Why can't I take this further than I could, you know what I mean? And just knowing that there is someone who can't show the potential of how, you know, you know, pursuing one's dreams could lead to, right? Um, and not just, you know, collaborating with, with, with great artists or like-minded artists, but coming up with just great bodies of work like this, right? That's just the motivation that I needed, you know what I mean? And will continue to go back to, right? So yeah, for me, no album really, really hit me as hard as the degree of difficulty, man. Likewise, once again, you nailed it. You knocked out the park. So, you know, two years, not so much in a row, but two years in this decade, you get my number one picks, man. So, you know, in 2020, we had Heat Succeed. So this year now, we have the degree of difficulty, man. And, you know, just keep doing your thing, Dred. You know, it's it's a burden and I know you're going to bear it, but you're strong enough and I know you can do it, man. And yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit for you, man. So shout out to Mike Wise, shout out to Boga, shout out to everybody who worked on that album. And pretty much shout out to everybody who just gave, you know, delivered great albums and great music for me to just keep me sane pretty much, right, throughout this year, man. So salute to you all, man. All right, so from music now, um, let's talk about, you know, because we're still doing our, you know, our list, right? So let's talk about mm-hmm. best TV shows, right? So um, if you don't mind, I'll just share mine quickly, you know. Um, and really, it truly is in no particular order, right? But the number one, I should say the, the, the top three are indeed the top three, right? That's the best way I'll say. Um, honorable mentions, because there actually was a lot that, you know, can make it on this list here, right? I'm right. a Virgo. Right. We, we, yeah, yeah really, really, really solid, really solid show. Um, very, very subversive, very weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the ending could have been better, could have been punched up better, but you know, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Right. Uh, the Bear yeah. season two. Um, I know we mm-hmm. didn't get around to talk about it here on this program here, but um, I, I really enjoyed this, this um, the season here. Right. Solar yeah, so opposites hot. season four. Yeah, boy, mm-hmm. they, they they went above and beyond the Call of Duty just to just to entertain us with insane shit, and they did that so well, right? Castlevania Nocturne, right? I'm going to say season one because, yeah, no, well, the, the stinger implies that they're going to have a second season, right? But, yeah, absolutely enjoy that. Um, you know, in terms of continuing the Castlevania series, it, it works, right? Surviving R. Kelly, the third and final season. <laughs> yes, um, it, it was a rough watch, yes, but it's a necessary series just basically just to show how much of a piece of shit R. Kelly was and why the, the world should be aware of that, right? But also... At its heart, though, is just the, the the strength and just the bravery that these women, um, unfortunately, victims, you know, had. Uh, just the bravery they had to just pretty much come out to the world and confess 
what happened and how things went down, right? And especially how you see how positive their lives have, have been, you know what I mean, after sharing right. these sharing these moments. Yeah, yeah, totally connect with me, man. So yeah, it was a it was a great way to end uh, a, a very I don't want to say troubling, but a very um, difficult show to watch, but it's a necessary film, uh, necessary show um, that, that needs to exist, right? Um, especially when it comes to, you know, issues of, you know, sexual violence and stuff like that, right? Uh, Bel Air, season two. Um, this is where I felt like the, the, the show really, um, really, like, gained its, like, really established its own identity, right? Really became the show what it needs to be, right? Um, and yeah, I can't wait to see what we get in the third season. Um, it's a shame that we did not get more of this too because, yeah, like Bel Air, you know, the show really found its identity in the, two, in the second season. But unfortunately, it wrapped in the third season. But I felt like they still ended off strong. Wu-Tang, an American saga, as a Wu-Tang fan, um, it, it just Thanks, did everything man. for me though. I, did, I just loved to see callbacks and all that too. It just told this really great story about, yeah, just the rise of this very influential rap group, right? Uh, My Adventures with Superman, season one. Yes, very, very, very impressed by this though. Um, where they took the character was great. Yes, it's very anti-Snyderverse and, you know, it's all the more better because of it though. But it's just so charming though. It's just the charming element of it that I really love. Um, and in, in particular, the relationship between um, Lois and Clark. I mean, yes, you see him millions of times before. But this one though, it was just so sweet though. It was just so charming, man. And yeah, you get some really great Superman moments out of it too. But, you know, it's very lighthearted. And yeah, it, you know, for, for a character like Superman, it fits, right? Uh, I, I reviewed this earlier this year, uh, Chainsaw Man, right? Uh, this is a very over-the-top, very insane, and very badass anime, though. This concept of that of that character is weird to me, but somehow they make it work, though. And just boast somebody, just somebody wildest um, anime stories I've seen in, in, in a while, though. So really enjoy that. And last but not least, uh, Poker Face, right? Really, really nice. impressive full season here. Um, Natasha Leon was great as a lead, though. And I get that it's just that great return to the whole, you know, mystery or murder of the week or mystery of the week formula that, you know, stuff like Columbo or, you know, um, uh, Murder, She Wrote did, you know, way back when, right? It just did it so, so, so well, right? So now yeah. let's jump into the best of list for me, right? So number 10, Scavenger's Reign. Um, great um, sci-fi anime. Uh, very existential. I did not expect there was going to be man versus wild. But in that case, though, you really get this really you get this fascinating and really terrifying world. Uh, very Studio Ghibli inspired um, creatures as well too. Very unique and kind of beautiful at times, but they could be they, they are they are bizarre, sorry, and dangerous and deadly, right? I just seen how these characters, these survivors, you know, are existing in this place, right? And it just made for yeah, just some some really forward thinking, um, you know animated storytelling right in in general uh number nine blind spotting season two um i don't know if we're gonna get a second uh, a third season out of this i really do hope so but just the mere fact that they that they focus more on you know miles character uh, or i should say um rafael Casal's character and less on david diggs because david doing his own thing you know um yeah yeah worked for me man i i, I thought that this was just a great season uh, to a great show, which is in part, you know, um, a, a continuation of one of my favorite movies of the past decade, right? Of the same name, right? So where they took the characters, you know, and especially where they ended off too, you know, I, I absolutely love, right? Yeah. Number eight, How to Wreck My Boy, Wes Anderson, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Yes, um, yeah. this, this, this to me is the best of these Wes Anderson directed Netflix specials. That's what I'm going to call them. Um, I, like I said in my review, I have a feeling they're going to put all five of them and release them 
true criterion as a Blu-ray or whatever. Um, and I could see myself buying them, right? But for me, Henry Sugar was great. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch was was great as as Henry Sugar. This is story and how it's told in this. You know, it's the Wes Anderson style, right? But it's just so delightfully Wes Anderson, man. I I couldn't be mad at this. So I just loved everything about it, right? Number seven. Uh, we didn't really talk about it here on the show here, but after after pick it up here, Archer. Season 14, final season of it. Yeah. I thought that they ended off this season, or to say this series, on a great note. Yes, admittedly, this show kind of went on way too long. Like, it could have stopped off at 10 seasons. But, you know, they, they, they kept going, right? Even with the unfortunate passing of Jessica um, Walter, um, they still yeah. kept going strong, right? I love that. I just love where, you know, where, where the characters are, are you know, are taken, right? Uh, whether it's Sterling Archer, whether it's Lana, whether it's um, Cyril, right? Or, you know, Krieger. No, Krieger is your boy, Ricardo, right? You know, it's just where they mm. took all these characters and, you know, it's just that, you know, just just rapid fire, um, you know, just humor. They were just so smart. And it's crass, but it's very intelligent at the same time, too. And, you know, it just delivers the goods. You know, just the stuff that we've loved so much from the series, right? But it's just, it's the final season. It's the last hurrah. And I thought that it ended off um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a totally satisfying note, I must say, right? Uh, number six. You might get mad at me for putting this so, so low, Ricardo, but I still have to put it on my list nonetheless. Bleach, Thousand Year Blood War, Part 2, The Separation. Yeah, talk okay. about stepping your game up, just So just when you thought the first season was great, boy, they just ramp things up to, like, even... I don't even say by 11, but they just ramp things up even more with this, right? Uh, this, I forget the characters they do, but the dude with the, with the paintbrush, though, is probably going to yeah, go down one... Yeah, it's, it's probably going to go down one of the most memorable characters in Bleach ever. Just his skill set is so amazing. I just love that this show is just so bold to say... Yes, this is over the top, and we're going to have characters do really insane shit, but it makes sense in our way, right? And that's how they continue. The story from before was great, though. Animation, music, fight scenes, everything was just... Everything was just fine and all cylinders, right? And I'm not even the biggest Bleach fan. I absolutely enjoy this nonetheless, right? Yeah. Number five, season seven of Rick and Morty. Yes, like... While, you know, you said you you didn't enjoy it as much as the last season, um, I felt that, you know, despite the whole stuff involving Rust, um, Justin Roiland, you know, this show, I should say the creators, still managed to find a way to keep this show going strong, man. I mean, the humor is just so in your face, just so rapid fire with it too as well. Um, similar to, to Archer as well too, right? You know, just the, the writing is strong as well. Um, it is insane. It is just over the top and ridiculous though but that's what you come to Rick and Morty for man and yeah I, I absolutely enjoy this right number four I have a feeling that this is probably high up in your list see the fall of the house of Usher 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 yes man um, absolutely enjoy this um it was a great Halloween miniseries, man. And, you know, just, just you know, for me, I'm um, doing like this little mini deep dive into Edgar Allan Poe film adaptations that um, Roger Corman and Vincent Price did. It was just cool seeing like their take on that, that source material anyway. I'm talking about the, the books themselves, right? Not so much the films, right? But just showing it in this really crummy, detestable family where literally every episode, one of the members dies and it's just in this glorious... Just so gory, you know, gloriously gory kind of fashion as well too. But it's just so fitting in terms of who the, the who the characters are and what they represent as well too. Yes, the the, the scene in the nightclub will go down as one of the most jaw dropping moments in television, boy. But sorry, but the pitch and the pendulum for me, hands down, is still the best death sequence in this whole series, in my opinion. But it, it's not just Thanks. about deaths and all that kind of stuff. It's just 
yeah, just this idea of this character, this figure, you know, basically death, you know, going after these these um this family and how they deal with it though. And it just mean for just some some solid drama. So it's not just the horror aspect that works too, but the drama as well. The drama really works as well, right? Number three, speaking of drama, yes, I have to, I have to go to HBO slash Max for this one, The Last of Us. Yes, it is hands on one of the best video game adaptations ever. Um, and, you know, as somebody who never played that game, but I always knew how great the source material was. Yeah, how they told that story was great, though. Pedro Pascal, you know, everybody's favorite dad is great here. And yeah. just how they were able to capture the world of The Last of Us, right? Um, you know, in the sense that, yeah, this is the world we live in. You know, there's all this weird, you know, fungi growing out. And, you know, if you go close, you turn into zombies and zombies are killing people and life sucks, right? And just how they show that, right? But they there are glimmers of hope, right? And you really see that in the relationship between these two figures and how they, you know, traverse from place to place. And yeah, it's just, and, and just how emotionally they are brought to the ground. Though. There's so much gut punches in this show, boy, right? Like in one particular, um, this slight spoiler, the one involving the, um, of course, the, 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 um, the deaf kid, though. That, that moment in particular, boy, Plus, I, yeah, I, 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 that, that was brutal, but that was just so brutal. I, I was just like, I, I, I can't watch any more of this, but I need to, you know what I mean? And yeah, the end result was just such a great show. Um, and I really can't wait to see, you know, where, where, where the story goes from there. I know I don't have time to play the games, you know, even though I, I should, I know I should, but I really want to see it like adapted to, to, to um, the screen, man. So yeah, I can't wait to see what they do here with season two. But yeah, this first season, this first season, kick things off on just such a superb note, man. I can't be mad at this, right? Number two, I have to bring it to the MCU for this one, Loki Season yeah, 2. <laughs> nice Who one, yeah. would have thought that they, that they would take uh, one of our favorite villains, Red, and make him into this sympathetic anti-hero that you yeah, just end up feeling sorry for in the end, Red. Like, without spoiling anything, the sacrifice that he does do... Ah, yeah, like, like, I, like I feel that like I hit my heart like I, like I, uh, like I just palm my fist to my heart I feel that shit I feel what he did right and like I said in my review I just love that they stuck to its guns it, it, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's basically Loki going through this existential crisis and we stuck to the story so no we're not gonna do all this easter egg stuff and give you fan service and all that we're telling this story this is what we want to do it's dark but it has some like you know witty humor here or there and you just really see how this character deals with it too. And not just him, but the people around him as well too. And where they stopped off at, I was like, wow. But like, I didn't know MCU had it in them to do this, right? So say what you want about the MCU and the output this year. They gave us a great show, right? And in the, in the form of Loki Season 2. I don't think we'll get a Season 3, nor do I think we need one. But I do hope, without spoiling, that that's the last that we do see of Loki, man. So yeah, I had to put this at number 2, right? So it's kind of obvious what my number one is, right? Um, the moment I saw it, I was just blown away by just the craft put into it, the effort put in the storytelling, just everything. Everything was just top tier in my opinion, right? You know, say what you want about how it looks, right? Say what you want about, you know, the messages and all that kind of stuff. But I just felt in terms of what it is, boy, um, this was just so, so great that I had to put this as number one. Y'all probably know what it is. Blue... I Samurai. Thanks, yes, yeah. that is my number one pick for best TV show of the year. It is the best yeah. animated show I've seen all year. It's the best animated anything I've seen out of Netflix. 
I love this show so much though. From voice acting to animation to storytelling, it is so, so, so well done though. It just pushes the, the, the boundaries of what animation could do, man, in terms of telling the story. Which, yes, it does borrow a lot from, you know, samurai um, cinema from like the 70s onward. But you could feel the love that went into this as well too, into capturing... Um, not just that, but, you know, the culture of Japan as well, too. And, you know, that's the, the homages to samurai films and all that kind of stuff, right? They're just telling this great story with a great badass character and, yeah, just what she has to deal with, right? And, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love this, man. And I, and, and I am honored to have this up there as my number one pick, right? So before we move on now, I, I do have a couple. I do have a few, actually, of worst TV shows picks, right? Just, just three, right? And right. we'll move on, right? This honorable mention, I know this should be in my worst off, but I still saw what they were going for with it. Secret Invasion. I saw what they oh, were getting at with it, though. I see what they were trying to do. They were trying to do the whole, you know, um, Cold War kind of, you know, thriller kind of thing. They're trying to do the, the, the Tinker Tailor um, spy thing, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But they, they, they had a really good opportunity. They had a good setup, boy, but they just... Drop the ball. They just didn't know what to do with the story, boy. And then it ultimately, just end up coming off very weak, though. Just, just very flat. You know what I mean? Just and right. just a huge step down from what you would expect from an MCU TV show, and not so much just a film in general, eh? a TV show, right? But yeah, as far as worst TV shows go, I just have three: um, History of the World Part Two. We right. never yeah, thought in a mil- I, I never, I, 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 I can't believe that I'm seeing this, right? Mel Brooks. The man, yeah. the legend himself, actually made one of the worst TV shows of 2023. I yeah, can't believe I'm well. seeing this, right? I can't believe I'd say this, right? I wasn't even the biggest fan of the movie, History of the World Part 1, right? But Very I charming. do admire for what it is, right? But to think that in 2023, he decided to make a TV series out of it, right? And give us just these dry, terrible, poorly executed, you know, sketches, though. With just a few that 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 make me chuckle, boy. But ultimately, and this is like the greatest sin of it, Tred. Almost all of it was not funny. Almost all of it was not funny, and it just felt dated yeah. as hell, Tred. Like, like I, I know, I know it's Mel Brooks. I'm sorry to say this, but we in the 2020s, man. Like, come on, we could do much better than that, right? Also, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the best animated show of the year. After mentioning the worst animated show of the year, Velma. Yes, yeah, this I was bad. This sucked. It, it took I, the I character of Velma and, oh, it, and you know, well, we're, we're going to do like this R-rated, edgy version of it. So she's not just, you know, um, she's not just queer, but she's also insecure, right? And all this kind of stuff and all of this is like just about this character study, about a character that ultimately you don't even give two shits about. The, the, the conceit surrounding, surrounding her don't make any sense. You don't really care about it. It's about the mysteries and all, you know, who's behind the mask and all that good shit. But they spent so much time developing a character that is so unlikable, Jen. That's the that's sin out of this, right? You take somebody who is fairly likable, right, in the world of Scooby-Doo, Dread, and it just makes she unlikable, Dread. And you can tell me, well, it's because she's insecure. But no, she's just kind of a stuck-up bitch. I'm sorry to say that. She's just a, just a stuck-up bitch. I'm sorry. It's just a terrible show, right? And last but not least, as much as I wanted to be fair to the show, I saw the potential, I saw what it was trying to do and the message it was trying to give, but it was just done in this painfully awkward manner. The Idol. 
a sorry weekend. I love you as an artist, right, and as a songwriter. I really forget about this. But as a as 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 a as a showrunner and as an actor, no. Especially as an actor, you're not the worst actor in the world, but no, dial it back, right? But I will I will say this will you, you you did give us one of the most memeable and most unintentionally hilarious moments of 2023 Barnan with him cussing out this guy in this um <laughs> in this clothing store like oh fuck you up man I'm a cur- fucking curb stomp you man like just go on YouTube and look at that though that is that is like the funniest shit you will see all year that that's played that's not even played for laughs eh? but my god though this was just a huge misfire you know it was just it could have been a great commentary on just the dark nature of yeah the world of music especially pop music but no it's just trying to be schlocky, but at the same time, you're trying to be intelligent. But it just came off more schlocky, but just in a more awkward kind of way. And from HBO as well, too. So, no, you don't see the weekend naked. But, like, if, and again, I think that's really, like, the big sin of this whole show, Dread. Like, as sexually charged as this show claims it is, though, it, could, it, it can't even commit to it. It couldn't even go past the limit, Dread. And you're working with HBO, Dread. A show, a, a, a station that gives us shit where you're seeing, like, you know, naked people, like, in every episode. Like, like, like say, a Game of Thrones, right? I like, couldn't even push the envelope even that far, though. This was just watered down team. And, again, just, just awkward, uh, just terrible throat, man. So, yeah. But that's it. I, I, I talk long enough. Uh, CC, do you have any worst TV... Sorry, best or worst TV shows or no? I had mentioned on the chat I don't really have much in the way of TV. Um... No, as I said, not really much in the way of TV, although I will say just The Last of Us is one of the best things I saw this year. Like, I, I had never played the games like you, never taken the moment to really delve into it very much. And I know people had all kinds of opinions about, oh, what, what, what's, what's the show going to be? Is it going to live up to the game and the video game adaptation curse? Putting all that aside, just from a dramatic standpoint, it just felt like one of, like, this absolute breath of fresh air just for the post-apocalyptic genre, zombie fiction in general, and just this kind of out-the-gate work of dramatic art, if that makes sense. Like, some, yeah. like something that I... Like I wasn't... I didn't have any particular expectations for it, but it was an absolute breathtaking work from a dramatic standpoint, and I really appreciated it. Right. So I'm, I'm going to give you guys um, my honorable mentions, which includes... Like, it's mm-hmm. not the worst things that I've seen, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what... Um, they could have been better, or I really liked them, but they just didn't get into the top 10. So in terms of honorable mentions, Slow Horses from um, from Apple TV+, Plus, which is a very good series, but I only just like I only just discovered it, and it came out in 2022 or thereabouts. It's, on, it's now in the third season, and so because I'm not completely through with it, I had put it on the honorable mention list, but Slow Horses is good. Anybody who knows me knows how I like spy crap, so I'm a big fan of that. Uh, Queen Charlotte, the Bridgerton story, was absolutely joy, uh, but it didn't make my top ten. So, right, I I I had so much fun, and then the whole idea of Brimley and, you know, what has happened to him and such, it was just like real heights. Um, Star Wars Visions was one of those right. that I enjoyed, but then when I figured out what I was having on this top ten list, which might get some heights. But Star Wars visions of itself, the different creators, the different stories, the way how everything tied, felt tied together. I enjoyed it a great deal. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the, the bottom three here, which eh, 
So I have the Night Agent from Netflix, which uh, you know it, it's a it's a good story, but it's also it's fun and forgettable. So I'm kind of like it, neither here nor there where it's concerned. It was a good fun good fun to watch it, sir. FBI agent who works for um, works in the White House and he answers the phones um, whenever spies call and to find out what's going on and that kind of stuff and end up being in the center of like the biggest mole. Um, plot in like the White House and America and things are going askew, you know, the usual nonsense. So there's a night agent. Um, beef with Ali Wong and Stephen Yen. Yes, and seek- that, you know, um, that, had, that had some fun t- takes and turns, but still. And then, of course, Secret Invasion, because Secret Invasion, um, killing off Maria Hill, I'm sorry, that, that does not fly for me. Killing off Maria Hill, um, the controversy around the AI opening which I feel like in a house where you have a whole bunch of actual visual effects um, creators and animators, just pay the people what they want to, what they're asking yeah. for. Don't let us have to go to another union. You know, the strike. So you, you, so you, you know, just and again, it all comes back down to these big studios doing the absolute ridiculousness, and here we are. But Secret Invasion, Secret Invasion was supposed to be more especially when you have nick fury at the top of it but you know here we are so those are my those are my honorable mention type things slow horses queen charlotte star wars visions the night agent beef and secret invasion but my top 10 um and i'm just going to go through the first five the top 10 i have here only murders in the building um, from Hulu, we're in, uh, is Hulu, we're in Hulu, it's season three, it is still funny, it is still, I'm actually still very much amused at how they are constantly bringing more murders into the mix and more people, so I very much enjoyed it, but, um, so yeah, so we have, uh, that, we have Placey Jackson and the Olympians, I was there, um, I was alive when the movie came out, and the movie was fine, but, you know, I know it's only two, three episodes out, but this feels like the, Lucy Jackson's series, and I was like, you know what, I need it. I'm gonna have that there. Um, the Last of Us, of course, and um, Succession season four. I have felt so many things about Succession season four that I was just like, oh my god, this needs to be on the list. So that brings us now to the top five out of that. And of the top five out of that, I have number five, The Fall of the House of Usher. I will tell anybody, I, I you know, when Halloween comes around, I prefer to sleep. So I don't really, you know, dig up into many Halloween type things. But the idea that it was based on Edgar Allan Poe's works and some of these things I was like, you mean to say all these years I've been living and reading books and all this kind of stuff and I didn't know about like, you know, the short story of the house of the the fall of the house of Russia. I need to go read this. And that sort of brought me back into Edgar Allan. So I absolutely love how Mike Flanagan did that. Um, Number four is Loki. It is the one Disney Plus Marvel show that has finally eclipsed WandaVision for me. Um, Y'all know whenever we do these kinds of, you know, stacking up, I always put WandaVision at the top tier of everything. But when I saw how this series ended, I um, I was like, no, okay, Wanda is now number two and Loki is number one. And quite like Watchmen, I don't think we need to explore any more of it. It's done, it's wrapped, it's beautiful, the end. Number three on the list is The Morning Show, season three from Apple TV+. Plus. Apple TV Plus continues to do what I call adult... streaming service, in my and, Oh my God, it really, it, it, it literally is. I agree with you. Um, 
it, it is it is adult, but not adult in the sense of of droning or draining. It is just brilliant the way how they bring things on, and the morning show is no exception. This season for season three, it felt closer to in terms of pace and vibe how it felt in season one. Season two, they covered the pandemic and how that affected the people. Season three, it went back into the personal relationships, but it really, I mean, it had like an Elon Musk type character and all sorts of different things was happening. And it was like, yes. So number three, the morning show. And of course, number two and number one, number two, my Adventures with Superman from Adult Swim and, well, Cartoon Network. This feels, and, you know, full disclosure, I absolutely adore um, Superman and Lois. I, the dynamic of him being a father is brilliant. But this feels like what Superman should be. Uh, this felt so fun. And at the same point in time, it had like message. It felt like if it was real. Um, and even, and I'll throw this out just for the sake of being that person, Lois is not a, a, a purely white girl. In fact, the, the way how she's designed and even her clothes and stuff like that, when you read some of this stuff behind the scenes, she has an Asian heritage. And I bring that up because when I look at the very stellar cast lineup for the soon-to-be-released live-action film, I always ask myself, were there no Asian people to play Lois Lane? Were there no South Pacific Indian people to play Lois Lane? There's a book out there that is with Lois Chowdhury in it. There are things that my adventures with Superman did, not just for the sake of diversity, but it did really well that I felt could have been translated into even casting for the thing, but in Gun We Trust, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, so number two was My Adventures with Superman from Adult Swim, and number one, my all-time number one TV show. Now, in a, in, in a cheat, it actually comes in threes, but I'm going to say it is Doctor Who, the Star Beast. Because right. okay, okay. I, so, so, so here's the thing. I loved all three of them. Um, and of course, when, you know, the toy maker, the episode where the toy maker comes out and he starts singing um, Spice Girls, that was like my life flashing before my eyes. I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. But it is the return of Russell. And that starts off from Star Beast. You bring Star Beast into this, you bring Russell, sorry, into this, and you have Russell crafting this whole mythology of why is 14 why why is why does 14 have the same face as 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 10 what exactly is going on who is rose what is the dynamic of this version of rose why does she have the name why why did she choose the name rose it's not just a okay well you know we we're trying to uh, you know as as twitter tends to say these things trying to walk the place or whatever it is it is russell doing a solid storyline and this is the part that I love. He does not act as if what Jody and 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 Chris did was something that you just erase. Because all throughout all of this, all of the three episodes, they talk about what has happened to the doctor. They talk about the timeless child. They talk about the flux. They talk about all of these things. I just love the idea that Russell is back. Murray Gold is back. It felt like Doctor Who. It felt completely unhinged. And at the same point in time, great. Now, I have not sat down and fully watched um, uh, The Church at Ruby Road, 
which is a Christmas special, but I saw clips of it and I was like, Chuti, you are doing the Lord's work. So I am, I am very thrilled about that. But my number one TV show um, for 2023 will remain Doctor Who in the Russell T. Davis return era, the Starbies, because if that ushered in everything that we need that we're going to get now in this new era. And that's it for me where TV is concerned. All right, nice, nice, nice. So uh, for the last time now, um, let's touch on the worst of the worst, right? So now we're going to talk about worst movies. Yay. Uh, so to kick things off, um, CC, do you, do, you, do you have at least one worst movie pick? Uh, no, I have I actually have quite a few worst movies. One actually came out this year, so for me, that's um, that's a, that's that's an improvement. Um, the other, although I'll go through them pretty quickly. So I have two films, and I write them into two categories. Two films that I was expecting them to be pretty bad, and they somehow were worse even than I was expecting. And those are Theodore Rex, the 90s buddy cop film where Whoopi Goldberg teams up with a dinosaur. Please, please and... explain to me why you watched that. <laughs> I was that. No, no, okay, no, no, no. It, it, it's a truly, and oh, the lore behind the film is actually more interesting than the film itself. Like, this is a movie where Whoopi Goldberg tried to legally get out of being in it. She hated it so much, and they like had to le- legally force her to fulfill her contract and stay in the film. So it ends up, so you can tell, like, every scene, she has this look of, fine, I'll complete my contract and go home. And it, but that's, like, somehow just one of the least offensive parts. Like, the film as a whole is just every bad, late-stage buddy cop fatigue, but also sci-fi blockbuster trope. Like, all of it. It's just an absolute mess. There's no direction. The humor is odd like i don't it's one of those it's one of those comedies where they're just they I feel like they were just sitting there with like a ratio of like how much how many jokes to put in per scene and they ran out and they were like i've got it all the gaps fart jokes that's what we're gonna do we're going that that's how we'll drive the rest of the movie through and it's somehow boring this is a movie that opens with a anthropomorphized dinosaur being murdered by a drone in the shape of a butterfly and this movie is somehow boring i don't understand how they pulled it off and then the other film that like that was that i expected to be terrible but was somehow even worse than i was expecting is dragon ball evolution which again i i don't know why i watched that either that was another one that i i have a friend who's more into dragon ball and he had watched it this movie is a bad movie it's like it's, notoriously terrible movie, dog. It's notoriously ter- like 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 oh my, and like it's one of those films. I was like again, like Theodore Rex. I was like, okay, it's bad, but you know maybe I'll have fun with it. I'll laugh, and then it's some like, like not even twenty minutes in. I'm like, what is hope? What is joy? What is laughter? How can I recover these lost feelings? Because it's just this. It, it feels like, I don't know if anyone here has seen the Jonathan Frakes Thunderbirds, but it's that similar level of, like, misguided 90s adaptation where we have to take whatever we're adapting and just kind of strip it of, of all of its... We have to strip any sense of individuality, any sense of intrigue, any sense of, um, like, any, any sense of nuance and idiosyncrasy, and we have to make it into this just generic sludge 
and so much of Dragon Ball Evolution was this painful experience of just watching generic sludge. But then the three movies, then the other three movies that I watched this year that I would put as the worst also hurt, but they hurt because each one of them is from a director that I actually like a lot. Like, every one of these movies is from one of my all-time favorite directors, and they were all bitterly disappointing. Uh, and then one of them even came out this year, so drum roll for that. But first up, True Lies, James Cameron. Oh my god. Like, Say what? What? No. I hated this movie. Oh my. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. It's a very mean-spirited movie. It's a very mean-spirited movie. No, most of the runtime... I had a ton of fun with it. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. The terrorism stuff no hold up at all. Like, it was bad. Oh, no, no, no. It was bad then and worse now. But then, like, all of these stuff with Jimmy Lee Curtis is straight up you know, clearly like what do you want to do to the wife or something? He really like, he's, going through, he's going through a divorce anytime. <laughs> like, I'm just... No, no, no. True Lies screams, I'm going through a divorce and I'm mad at women now. Like, yeah. oh, he's the oh, most divorced man right now. Oh, my God. Like, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I think if you're a male artist and you're going through a divorce, you need to go on like an island, take a little vacation for a few years, and then you can come back and make art again. Because, oh, my God, sitting through True Lies was an absolutely painful experience <laughs> like especially like and especially since for me it was also hyped because this is a rare movie it's hard to find it's a really difficult movie to get a hold of and watch so when they finally got my hands on it i was very excited it's like oh yeah one i think the- i think it is this about arnold's best actor oh, i would i think arnold flexes his comedy chops in that movie quite a bit in a way that i like like i, I like he has some scenes then the movie will sabotage but, like, but, but for the most part like He's pretty funny, and then we all know Jamie Lee Curtis is one of the best comedians of the last ever, honestly. Like, like she's hysterical in this movie. But then they just get these uncomfortable sequences where I feel like I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to be laughing, but the fact that this movie wants me to laugh at this scene actually makes me feel more uncomfortable more than anything yeah. else. Um, so, True Lies. Um, this one is probably going to be much less controversial, but House of Gucci... House of oh, Gucci. Yeah, that was terrible. Okay, you, 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 okay, you finally suffered through that. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, because I had seen Last Duel the same year, and that was one of the best. Like, I think if you uh, go back to that year, that was one of my best films of the yep. year, Last Duel, because absolute masterpiece. But House of Gucci is so bad. Like, if, Okay, if, if Jared Leto wasn't in it, uh, it would have been <laughs> hard to judge it without that. But I don't no, think Jared, it would have been that bad. But Jared Leto was in absolutely ridiculous no absolutely ridiculous um i have particular beef with the soundtrack because it starts off almost interesting and then as the film gets on it gets slowly slowly less inspired and then we get to this aggravating point where we're doing like you know opera and italian folk music because oh look italy and then we drop a german opera yeah and i yeah. lost my mind like i i was so this is one of my just linchpin villain moments of villain origin story moments of the year because i'm watching this movie and i'm like okay fine yeah opera we get it and then they drop a german opera and i go oh my god so we can't even we can't even do lazy needle drops right like clearly like all right you're, um, you're sound- um, um cc speaking of needle drops right i don't know if you know the yes. song um this is uh paid in full the cool cut remix right so there's this mm-hmm. one you know um runway sequence right 
I remember mentioning okay. in my review that wait, this song didn't this song came out in, come out in nineteen eighty seven or eighty eight, but the setting mm-hmm. is not in the mid eighties. So why are we hearing this song? And yeah. time, it's a runaway song. I get it, but it's a wrong year, you know. Well, it's this com- yeah, it's this complex. It's this absolute complex mix of baffling needle drops and boring needle drops. Like the last, the last one in the movie, which was. Tracy Chapman's Baby Can I Hold You, but the one where Pavarotti has a verse as well was truly one of the moments where I just sat there with my head in my hands trying to make sense of the life life universe and everything. Like, it starts out Tracy Chapman's like, oh, weird song. And then Pavarotti comes in. I was like, oh my God, get me out of here. But no, House of Gucci. And then finally, a film that came out this year from a director I otherwise enjoy. Next goal wins by Taika Waititi. Oh, you saw Absolutely. it. Okay, we're, we're, we're getting Yo. that um, a, a couple weeks from now theatrically, and I've heard a lot of bad oh, things about it. It's. I, I will just say, I don't, I'm not going to get too much into why I dislike the film if you guys haven't got to it yet, but pretty much, like, don't... I'm sure you'll probably go into it. You might, you might enjoy it even if your sights are a little less high. For me, it's just disappointing. Like, here, it, it just has this... If if you don't like um, self-aware humor, like, haha, aren't sports movies so cliche, you're going to get tired of this movie very quickly. Very, very, very quickly. Because most of the jokes come back to some version of, hey, remember this trope in sports movies? Remember these other movies? Remember this other stuff? And for, for me, it's especially disappointing from someone like Taika, who at one point was someone that if you asked me, talking about like fresh, exciting filmmakers, I would have like listed him at the, the top of that list. But then with Love and Thunder, his inability to keep his mouth shut in interviews and just saying stupid crap, it's just been this, it, it's been this absolute train of disappointment for so long. And it just feels like, and like, I will say, Next Goal Wins is not as bad as Love and Thunder. I could see people enjoying Next Goal Wins, in fact. But I could see some people enjoying it. But for me, it was just this lifeless, disappointing, stale comedy that doesn't really have much. I mean, like, it's got... there. There's I think some of its funniest are moments where it does kind of get into some of the, like, in-jokes and some of the, like, like, like um, self-effacing humor about indigenous life on, in, in American Samoa. But... Otherwise, it's just, and I'm not someone who likes sports films in the first place. So a sports movie that actively goes out of its way to remind you about how boring and like repetitive and like uninteresting and cliche sports films are in general was never going to do much for me. So yeah, no, that was, and that was, I would, I would say my worst film of the aside from '65, you know, with Adam Driver. Uh, I would, say, I would, I'll, I'll I would bring say, up yeah, I'll, I'll bring up that. <laughs> Oh, oh god yeah no i'm glad someone's talking about 60 i almost i almost did 65 but i needed to rant about theodore rex and dragon ball evolution and the other ones a little bit mm. but like for this year next goal wins is disappointing 65 is also disappointing but i'll let you guys talk about that right right well you know what well when when you get to my list right but um tracy exactly yeah uh, tracy do you have any worst movies picks worst movie picks I, so I don't have a, a worst movie pick. What I have is uh, could have been better. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I have a, a could have been better list because I I mean 
There are some films that I have actively stayed away from, and there are some things that are could qualify as worst. But then I always go back to that one time in 2018 where someone and I sat down through Predator and nothing <laughs> could give me that feeling of what the hell than, than Predator. So my list is more of a could have been better. That's fine. And I'll go through a couple of them. Um, Indiana Jones, because, I mean, I was super excited about Indy and I was super excited about all of that. And I, I, oh there was God. some good bits about it. Mm. But when he times traveled back, then it's like, oh, it's Indy who actually... I was like, there, there, no, could have been better. Could have been better. Heart um, <sighs> of Stone, Heart of Stone, which is a Netflix film, okay. which tries to do spycraft. Um, it's Gal Gadot starring in it. And, you know, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, so this is... 70s Diana. You remember when Diana didn't have powers and she wasn't Wonder Woman anymore and she was just basically oh, yeah. an international spy? Yeah. So it's kind of, it's, it's like that meets Modesty Blaze. Um, Ooh, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing it. I have a thing for Brenda Starr and Modesty Blaze and I'm probably selling okay. it myself. But anyhow, that, that is that is that. And I looked at it and I was like, this is fun, but it could have been better. Um, Equalizer 3. I sat down and I watched it with mom. Okay. Mom has seen it a few times. Okay. And she, she loves it. Mom loves it. So if mom loves it, I, I'm I, like, I okay, it, it, was I didn't it. it was fine. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I can see, see why you might hate it. Yeah, as I say, good, good know, what, Yeah. This is this right. is my this is my problem. It's it's not these are not films that I I was like, oh my god, what is this? It's right, gen- right. although there is one on the list, huh? but it, <laughs> <laughs> but it could have been better. Um, I, and I mean, I, and I loved, even though they were in separate movies, it's a different movie at the time. I love, I can't remember her name right now, but I love bringing back um, the young uh, actress uh, that Dakota, was... Um, Dakota in, Fanning, that's, that's Man on Fire. Dakota Fanning. Yeah. Man on Fire. Man on Fire. Mm. So, I loved it. And, you know, we just we just cracked that's up about, you know... Fa- yeah, that's a big factor. Yeah, I think it, I, I liked it, yeah. It's because it is, it's just a callback to that. And the way it framed it, it's like, it, it could have totally be a sequel to Man on Fire, which is a movie I love. Yeah. You know, and I, and from the time she started to interact, I was like, okay, clearly he knows her somewhere along the lines. And then at the end, it's revealed how Robert knows her and all that kind of stuff. It's good. It's just that it could have been better. Um, so I, I'm, I'm up to my, 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 my three of them. Um, Quantum Mania. Now, here's my thing with Quantum Mania. Quantum Mania is Peyton <sighs> Reed's... <laughs> it's Peyton Reed's yeah, Star Wars. It is Peyton Reed doing... What he yeah, think nah, could have nah, been nah, okay, nah. a version of Star Wars. We got the cantina, we got the the military might. We it's Star Wars, yeah. um, but I feel like, um, and I think even Peyton himself had said so at one point in time. But I feel like stakes could have been higher. I was fully expecting mm-hmm. um, Paul's character to get stuck inside uh, the quantum new quantum realm. Um, I did not care for for Modok at all. That was no way. No. To introduce Modok. Nobody needed. And, nobody needed Modok. Nobody. Needed. <laughs> if you took out all the scenes where Modok is, you still have Quantum Mania, and I don't know yeah. if I needed that. I feel like the two strongest, um, hilariously, the two strongest characters in there is Janet and Kang, and I feel like after thirty years, the two of them had a relationship, and yes. that is just a, <laughs> you know a whole other scene. So yeah. Quantum Mania is on that. And then the top two could have been better. All right. Now that, um, in, to quote BB and CC Winans, now that it's over. Uh, 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 I see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, 
The Flash is one of those is that kind of movie that you look at and you be like, I mean, Olio, I mean, no, I am fully prepared for DC Studios. I am ready for DC right. Studios. I'm ready for the first 10 years of Gods and Monsters, as James Gunn has put it out. And all mm-hmm. of that is well and good. That's brilliant. But what you did there, after all these directors and everything, trying their hands at it. You remember there was a time when there was, there was Grant Morrison was supposed to be writing a draft for this movie, and that never happened. Oh, God, I remember that, yeah. He, and, like, you know, yeah Ezra Miller brought him on, yeah. I was like, okay, well, all of this is going on, and yet I still have this huge CGI head. The Chrono Bowl does nothing for me. And let's not even get to the whole Barry takes babies and puts them in microwaves. Like, it, this I'm movie sorry, is... <laughs> oh, 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 no, you need to watch that. There is a okay, oh, slight no. spoiler for everyone. There's a... That scene was kind of fun for what it was. Yes, the movie is trash, but that, that scene was a good scene. The the funnest things for me was like, okay, the idea of getting to see Barry interact with his with with his mother, who happens to be uh, Latina. And I was like, that's that's a pretty cool, interesting thing. Um, The cameo of Gal, because when in doubt, just put Gal in as Wonder Woman to come in. Um, And even (laughs) the end sequence there, I know George Clooney in a recent interview says he would rather be on drugs than go back into the Batman universe. But when I saw him pop up at the end, I said, that was funny. I know they want to do, here's my thing. I know they want to do Brave and Bold with a, right. a, with a young Damien. And I looked at it right. and I was like, I could, yeah. I could see that. That's fine. What I have with The Flash is that I saw this entire movie in seasons one, two, and three of The Flash. Yep. What are you doing that is different? So, yep. so, th- so there's that. And then finally, in terms of could have been really better if you have been dreaming about this film since before you were married if you have been living in this world of your own very own star wars then you really need to do better because i sat down and i watched rebel moon ah boy and i i I literally don't like okay the first couple of minutes I, I looked at it as like, oh, oh, so we're doing it from the perspective of Leia is um, what, what, what would have happened if Leia was on a farm instead of Luke? And I said, okay, let me see where this goes. No, that's not where we're going. Okay, so it's Jin Urso who is part of a thing, but she's also trying to fight the rebellion. No, it's not necessarily that. And the problem I have with Zach is, you know, he, it's, it's too long. And it's not long as in like Pillars of the Flower Moon long. It's long. Right. Like, I don't need to see. I don't need a minute on the green falling from, you know, her hand as it hits the ground, and then she oh, snips. snips and, then, the and then, of course, see, see, of course, hear the doom sound effect. You know, oh, of course, rice greens, you know, <laughs> for rice greens. And I was like, I don't need it now. I will, I will oh. say this. I will say this up because I sat down and I had a whole conversation with myself. Pre-Rebel Moon and post-Rebel Moon. I think cinema needs Zack Snyder because you need people mm-hmm. like Zack who is um, very effort. This is my idea and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm going to do it. I feel like with all the, oh, let's just do a bankable thing on this IP that has been around for 90 right. years and we will do it. You right. need people who, you know, cinema is coming out and saying, hey, I'm going to do this and it's probably going to flop, but I'm going to do it and do it exactly how I think it could be. But that being said, my problem ends with 
and I've and I've been in groups of people where I have had an idea and I thought the idea was white hot. And then I go and I tell it to people and they're like, yes, your idea is good. How about if we do X, Y, and Z? And I had to listen to other people. And I right. know he seems to be open, but I don't know if he listens to other people because I you can tell, you know, although I will give the one shining moment I did like, um, I did enjoy Ray Fisher, uh, you know, for that little brief period as as basically saw Guerrero as like, okay, so he saw Guerrero um, and, that, and his sister was Stila and that's it. But these are the movies, um, Equalizer 3, Indiana Jones, Heart of Stone, Rebel Moon. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I forgot one. So this is a very good movie. This is a very good movie. The reason why it could have been better is because it feels like if the entire movie was just a setup for the part two, which we are all going to see. So for that reason, I have Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning on my could have been better list. Because oh, I saw okay. a Oh, so here's my thing. All of these films, we know that there could have been there could have been more or anything of the sort. But each of, of the Mission Impossible films feels like, OK, this is wrapped and we're going to go into the other story. There are things within Dead Reckoning that tells me we're setting up for either a two or like, okay, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I can, in my head canon, I can see based on what I saw in that movie, Ethan is either going to die or going to disappear, which means that Haley Atwell's grace is going to become the new Ethan Hunt. She's going to join forces with Paris, who somehow survives a, 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 a knife wound, which is um, Pom Clementev's character, and is going to also join the, um, the IMF. And the black guy who is part of the CIA, that's going to be the new team, and they're going to be the ones moving forward, produced by Christopher McQuarrie. That is because of all the setups that's going on there. Not even Gabriel, who I get the idea of Gabriel being like the archangel and the villain and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Not even Gabriel's motivations. I felt it could have been tightened a little bit more. Now, that yeah. being said, I'm going to buy my ticket, and I'm going in on opening day God's Bear Life and watch... Um, um, Dead Reckoning Part 2 but it did feel like if most of it was a setup for Part 2 and of all the Mission Impossibles and I sat down and watched the one with Jeremy Renner um, of all the Mission Impossibles I looked at that one and I was like good film, could have been better so right. that's my and again these are not horrible films except for the one that uh, aggravates me um, but oh did you guys realize that in Rebel Moon he still goes back and does that whole um, choir of, of 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 screaming like banshees. You're hearing the high pitched banshees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in the score, mm -hmm. I hear it. Yeah. In the how how does how does a man <laughs> progress so far and learn nothing? You know, I, I know, right? Yeah. I know. So those are those, say, are, those I don't are know. I don't know. That might have been better to list. All right, so if you all don't mind, I will just share my worst movies list. I'm not going to stay long on them because they're worst movies, right? Um, but I do have a few dishonorable mentions. And just to quote you, Ricardo, noble failures, right? Um, they, they, those two are pretty much interchangeable here, right, in this section. Ricardo, you might get mad at me for this, but I'm sorry. Leave the world behind. Um, I, I saw what yeah. he was trying to do, but that yeah, okay. ending just no, didn't work for me at all. Right. It was just build up, build up, build up, and then, nope. Movie done. Bye. And run away. 
Yeah. Uh, Meg to the trench. Thank God I did not spend money to see that. It, Lord. it the only redeemable aspect of that film is the third act because it's so over the top and dumb. But all that build up leading up to it is just so dull and boring. And you're like, am I am I am here to watch prehistoric sharks? What what are we doing with what was all yeah. this stuff? I don't care. Moving on. Outlaw Johnny Black. Uh Ricardo and yep. I we really wanted we, we really wanted to like that film. Um, and I do appreciate the fact that Michael Jai White wants to pay tribute to, you know, the, the Western genre, specifically the black exploitation Western, right? Mm-hmm. But the story just went nowhere. It had a basic setup, which it sort of just threw away to add some long narrative that just went on for forever and then come back to the original narrative. And even that narrative was just so thin and undeveloped in the first place that when it happens or when it progresses or when it comes to an end, it's like, well, okay, that's it. I sat, waited two, two hours for that conclusion. All right, eh, whatever. White men can't jump. Um, as, as bad as it was... <laughs> As yep. bad as it was, I did. I, I do see the effort that they tried. That they they they, they tried to put into it, right? They they tried to update the formula, but I mean, the original film with Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson is a masterpiece in my opinion. And I I, I only found out that like just rewatching it in preparation for this, right? So yeah, you could see how this remake just failed to to, to, to capture the feel and the tone of that, right? But I do admire what they were trying to do with it. It's just they just feel with it, right? Same thing I would say about House Party. Again, I, I, I see what they were going for. I see what they're trying to do. But it just didn't work. The, the two redeemable aspects of that movie were Kid Cudi, who was like literally the funniest thing in that whole show. Every every moment with him just had me cracking up. And LeBron James, right? Which this whole set, um, story right. was centered on. I, I, I like that he played against characters, right. so to speak. I thought that would, right? But yeah, other than that, it was like, you remember the two leads? You remember the songs that were in it? Nobody? Nobody? Okay, right. 65. Yep. I wanted to put this on my yeah. stuff list. Yep. It was yep. this yep. close. It was Ooh. this closer. It was this close. Like it's it, like it's bad. Like it's still bad. Yeah, but it's bad. I I, I get on people what this is trying to do, but they just mm-hmm. could not capitalize on it. Oh, you know, guy ends up in what he assumes. Sorry, what he assumes is another planet. You know, but it's actually Earth, sixty-five million years in the past, and. There's dinosaurs. They, you know, that that's 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 a recipe for a great, you know, B B movie right there. But no, they just made it oh, yeah. so over serious and yeah, you know the girl yeah. uh, I forgot the girl's name, you know, who played Young Gamora and she was also in Barbie. She was there too. It was fine, oh. right? It was okay with her seeing her with you know, with um oh gosh, with, with Adam Driver, even though she didn't have much to say, but other than that, it was just so oh. dull and boring, you know? Yeah. And last but not least, the flash. Um, as much as I yeah. admire what they were trying to do with it, though, especially with the with the emotional moments, uh, this just felt like fan service in the worst ways. And I, I, I'm gonna see some some controversial right now to bringing back Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne and adding him into the story. <laughs> and you take it, oh, it just stops right there. Though they just kept going with these fan service moments, going and going and going and going. Um, there's an instance of another Batman. I'm not gonna spoil who it is. That was kind of funny, but still, it was just like, all right, really. But it's the moments where they were showing like whatever verse it was, not the multiverse, but whatever it was, the speed force falling apart. I just seen all these callbacks and references, like visual references to all the characters. And I'm just watching this. I'm like, why? Why are we doing this? Do yeah. Anybody need to see the the um the Nicolas Cage was just Superman? What's the point of that? 
Is right. point. No, 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 when, there's a dumb thing that Kevin Smith wouldn't shut up about. And yeah, they, they, they right. Because the true fans know about that. Uh, it, exactly, know. but 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 right. he sells. Well, like, I think. But he sells. But it's the, you know it's the end of the DCU, so we might as well pay tribute to all things DC. No, you're assuming uh-huh. that everybody who's going into this should care about everything that DC and right. Warner ever put out over what four or five decades. But no, we came to see Flash, not Superman, because and Nicholas Cage Superman because no and. Michael Keaton's Batman because no, we came for the Flash. What the hell? Sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you see, see, see. Well, it's weird because I feel like that whole bit is meant to be that that whole sequence and so much of the movie from Michael Keaton to the whole like like montage at the end with all the alternate universe Superman, including disgustingly um, the Christopher Reeves recreated with AI Superman bit. Oh, that, oh, that, no. that was I find the worse is not that is is George Reeves. Yes, uh, yes. Oh, no. Yeah, George Reeves is in it. And, uh, oh, somebody pointed not. out. Oh, I, I don't know. Worse. I don't know that. Yeah, that's by Something Somebody pointed out that the movie came out on the anniversary of George Reeves' <gasps> death. No. Yeah. No. I, I know <laughs> I how you can get worse from like, Christopher wait. Reeves. It's his worse than Christopher Reeves. That is, I mean, the George Reeves thing was like particularly grotesque. And you know, well, I, and, I had a... I had a big meltdown over when Ghostbusters did it. Eh? I, I was surprised I wasn't as angry. Oh, yeah. I wasn't as angry with this one, but it's still pretty bad. Like, it's just as bad, well, I think, in my opinion. Well, I think the thing that was so frustrating to me watching the movie... Well, not watching the movie, because, again, I never gave that shit the time of day. But the thing that was so frustrating to me is the movie, as it got closer and closer to release date, kept hyping up the multiverse aspect and it kept being like look we got this batman look we got michael keaton back don't you love my i'm a big fan of michael keaton's batman so like of course that was going to be like maybe maybe i will go see it but the more i heard about how many cameos and references and easter eggs the more i started to it actually i feel like it had the i don't know if this was for everyone but for me it had the opposite effect like the the harder they tried to make me want to watch this movie the less interested i got because it felt weirdly and, and Clo- what, what, cloying, right? Yeah, what's yeah, what's sad about it is that there's a version of that I think is possible that could work. Right? Yes. I think so. Okay. I'm in the camp that thinks that look, I know how to meld dog over Jugos Busters, but I don't mind when you bring back dead people. It's yeah. Right. We could it's, we could we could just, we could, just how you do it. Yeah. And so I don't I don't think the digital necromancy is necessarily a bad thing, but it is mostly a bad thing. So Yeah. yeah anyway, anyway <sighs> Matthew, continue please. Yeah. 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 Yes. So, for my top five, right? Number five, sorry, Ricardo, Good Burger 2. I had to put this there. Yeah. Um, no, sorry. This oh, just so came sorry. out way, 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 way too late. Um, <laughs> I mean, Keanu and Kayla are great, right? It was, it was great seeing yeah. them together. I will lie, I will lie, right? Yeah. But this was too, too late. Like, everybody grew up. The fans grew up. And, you know, like, I'm yeah. not even the biggest fan of Good Burger, but I was a huge fan of Keanu and Kayla. It was cool seeing them again, but... Like it's it's literally like the same film as before. I was supposed to like like it because it's Key and Kel together and it's good burger yeah. too, right? Like it's it's almost as if you know the whole world asks for the sequel, right? But no, 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 he didn't. Uh number four, you people. Um Jonah Hill yeah. and, and, and Annie Murphy oh, showing little no. chemistry, doing these terrible, tired yeah. race jokes. Um yeah. and, and it's all within the guise of this romantic comedy that doesn't even right. do anything to elevate the, the, the genre. I'll, I'll get to elevating of the romantic comedy genre later on, right? But this one, no. Right. Number three. Yeah. Yes, Ricardo, you're right. This needs to be on my list as well. 
the Expendables 4 or Expend 4 Bills, yep. right? Wow, yeah. wow, wow. This actually <laughs> makes the third film better. Like, I can't oh. ask the piece. I know a lot oh, of wow. people did not like 3 because, oh, it's PG-13. That means it sucks. Um, this one was out oh, and me. it sucks even more. Here's the thing. For me, it was like, 3 betrays its own premise. Because 3 is like, because the whole point of the series is, look, don't you yeah. like watching these old action right. stars still do things? Yeah. And then they're like, well, now, except we're not going to do that. We're going yeah, to have let's bring Ronda Rosie and three other people that nobody yeah. knows. And yeah, and I'm, and I'm sitting here going, when you take away the gimmick, like I feel like that was for me. Mm-hmm. Not only, like not only was it a movie that made me that I disliked it and it made me kind of look back on the franchise in a more negative way, but it's what killed my interest for the fourth one outside of the Terry Crews controversy. And the whole thing was, once you take away the gimmick, this is a very stale franchise. This is a very boring franchise. The franchise is the gimmick. That's it. I mean, have nothing beyond that. And once you take away the gimmick, what's that? Yeah, but but anyway, uh, well, what this show tried to do something a little bit different, so spoiler alert, they tried to kill off a quote Stallone, and then was surprise, surprise, he wasn't dead, he faked his death, haha, right? So That pissed me off. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, but because because I knew because I knew the end because you you spoiled it for me, Ricardo. I knew going yeah. in with uh to expect that, right? But it's the end yeah. end where you actually wait at to reveal what happened to his plane. I was like, yeah, yeah the show actually gave away with that. Nah, man, come on, right? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, talk about uh, uh, this is the fourth film. Imagine this, the fourth film in this franchise, and it's already old. It is so yeah. old and so yeah. tired uh, and watered out. That's the problem. And the biggest problem for me by far, you could get rid all that bullshit if you could pull off. Yeah, Tony Jaa and Eco Ways. I mean... Yes! They didn't listen, even fight! They were shot! I'm <laughs> upset about that. And Eco Ways had... Like, okay, so yeah. you fight with him and Jesus. Yeah. Up, start up strong, but they did nothing yeah. with that. I'm nothing, like, wow, what is this? I'll close this, right? Um, this show is so old and dated. They had it go, right? Because 50 cents in the movie... They drop yeah. and they, 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 they yeah. the worst needle drop, I would say, of 2023. PIMP. PIMP, you know. And how yeah, they work it into the story was rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Yeah. Terrible. Hate this, yeah. right? Number two. Listen, when you're doing a horror film, right? Um, try, try, try to make the horror film kind of horrific, please. Please, 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 Five Nights at Freddy's. Please, please do that for yeah. me, please. Wow. Just, just, wow. just do this for me, please. Don't, don't have me just sit down. And just watch and just stare into the screen, like, when is this thing gonna get scary? Yeah, and, and so, you know, you had a simple premise, basic, simple premise, right? Guy works just, it all up. I, I know, well, but that, that's another sin. It just kind of came and went for me, too, right? But yeah. you had you had, a, you had a simple job, right? Guy works at old amusement park, wherever where it is, amusement store, whatever. And these animatronic creatures come out at night and, you know, doing weird shit, right? Um, in, insanity ensues. Do that. No, let's have the guy go through this thing where he's looking for his brother and he has to do this dream logic to figure out what happened to the brother and blah, 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 blah. And the dream in the show. I and just say, like, where's he scares and blah, blah, blah. It's terrible. Forget it, right? And gotcha. number one. This, it, 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 in my mind, it could have been Five Nights at Freddy's, right? But this one, which I saw quite recently, actually a few days ago, the reason why it's up there, boy, is because with the director involved, there was no excuse for this being so bad. And yet, in a way, there was. Rebel Moon. 
Part yeah, one, wow. a child <laughs> of fire. Yeah. A guy like Snyder, right? I mean, see, see, I know you hate 300. I know you, you hate Watchmen, but yep. I love those. I yep. think they, those are his best works. But like the guy who brought visual flair to that, right? And he get, you know, you, you take it, all right, well, you know, he's going to do something with, with a story that he came up with. But initially, he pitched to Lucas Filmer, yada, 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 right? But just like Sucker Punch, no offense, Tracy. Uh, when it comes to him, like, writing his own stuff, it just doesn't work, boy. It just, in, in this case, boy, it's just all these blatant, it's just so derivative, though. It's just flat out boring. And I'm watching characters, and I'm supposed to care. And Snyder's trying to tell you, yo, look at this cool chick who has katanas, but they're not lightsabers, but they light up, man. And she's killing, like, yeah. the spider lady, man. Is this cool? I'm like, who is she? Why should I care? And that was me throwing the entirety of the show. Who is she? Who is he? Who are they? Why should I care? And then you have the goal to say, oh, well, there's going to be a rated R cut coming soon. So all the stuff and all the blood that you didn't see, you're going to see. Oh, I don't care. I don't care. Give me a proper story. Give me a reason to care. That's so egregious too. Because literally yesterday, right? Christmas Day, right? Yeah, he actually drops the trailer for the second film. I'm just watching this like, eh. Okay. Don't care. Moving on, right? but, I didn't even bother to click yeah. on the trip. But at the end of the day, it's Zack Snyder. It's a guy who is mostly known for action. It's a guy who is known mostly for just giving you visual splendor, right? Whether it's over yeah. the top or ridiculous, right? I didn't even get that scene for like a few explosions or a few like battle scenes or whatnot, right? But everything else just felt so dry and dull and uninspired and boring. I just stared at this, literally just stared at this, didn't even blink and I was just like, yeah, why, why should I care about this? Like, this this is where we at, Zack Snyder? This is where we at? So, I don't know, boy. I, I really had to put this way because, I, I like, I don't know, like, a guy like him who has been in the game for, like, what, two decades now? Yeah, he could have given us something way better than this, man. But, nah, but it's my Star Wars film, so enjoy it. No, I, I, sorry, just because you enjoy it in your head doesn't mean the rest of the world should, right? Just see. So, yeah, Rebel Moon, for me, is the worst film of 2023. Yep. Sierra Cardo, I know he was, he was waiting this for a long while, so yeah, you could share your worst of list, and then you could jump into best stuff, and then we'll jump proper into the best movies list. So, Sierra Cardo, take it away. Yeah, so I just have a lot of overlaps with you, um, but I'll have, I, it hurt me to see it, but I have one honorable, well, dishonorable mention. Uh, it's a kind of noble failure. I, I understand why this movie was made the way it was, but I would have preferred if they took a different direction, and I mentioned that in my review. The Mario movie. Oh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was. Oh, I, I, I okay. I didn't hate this. I get why oh. it was made. It was. It it has a couple of okay moments, but I just, yeah, the the the, the we call them um, illumination. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, they sacrifice story for style. There was a lot yeah, of style, yeah. and the story was just name, so sped up, yeah. Joe. Like I know, I know, video game references, right? But it was just right, so right. quick, though. Like, like you, you can't even hold on. You can't even latch yeah. onto it, right? And, yeah. I, and I prefer, and I prefer if somebody like like Maza did it, or or even somebody like DreamWorks or something like that. But Illumination was to me the worst call with respect to that. And then the storytelling again, it it's very basic, and I get it's it's skewing young. I get why they're doing it. You know, you you, you had to compare it to something like like Paw Patrol or something like that in terms of the what the audience should be for this. Right. I get that. But I would have preferred if they, they went a little more smarter with it. Like if if like I in my personal favorite game in the franchise is um, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. Uh, like my, my personal mm-hmm. favorite in the franchise. I, I love that game. It's really really funny, offbeat, off the wall. But something like Thousand Year Door, Superstar Saga, those games. I wanted the writing to be like that. that there's that's just me. That's just my bias. So that's just that. 
Everything else, uh, Matthew pretty much covered. So yeah, uh, sixty-five. Yep. <laughs> you, I feel like it's the best. That, that, that's the best sixty-five review. Sixty-five. Yep. Sucked. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You people. You people. You people was just was just yeah. I, I, I mess with Eddie Murphy overall. I, I just didn't like the script. I didn't like the story, and I didn't like the underlying message and what it was trying to see mm. and what it was trying to do. It just none of it worked. Yeah. White man can't jump. Yeah. Kind of. Oh hard. boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, House party, yeah. Um, Dial of <laughs> Destiny, big disappointment. I really. Look, oh yeah, I, this, this I should like, have been in my in my noble failures. Sorry about that. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Um. I don't completely hate this, but it was somehow worse than four, and I didn't like four. So yeah, moving on. Yeah. Uh. Worse Yeah. Secret Invasion and Velma. Well, you mentioned that. That was TV. Um. Good Burger. Yep. Rebel Moon. Yep. Yep. Um. <laughs> Outlaw Johnny Black. Yeah. Uh-huh, that uh-huh. was a big disapp- a big disappointment. I really I really felt we could have gotten. You know, you know, blazing saddles, but it's black dynamite. You know, yes. you know as, I really mm. wish we got some as funny as black dynamite. Right, was this is my two worst of the year? The two that just like a tab you are watching in theaters, I waste my effing cash. Uh, it kind of pissed me off. They made it the way it is because again, you squandered potential and it's just just lazy nonsense all across. Uh, X Men Level Four. Ah, Seriously, boy. F this movie. Mm. And then the worst, what I consider the worst experience I had in theaters for the year. Wish. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. God damn. Wish. That that is your people. Oh. Yes. No, I know you hate it, but wow. Alright, t- t- so tell us more. Yes, tell us more. Yeah, they take good wish. Yeah. One they commit the number one goddamn crime. You could you could your story could suck. Voice <laughs> acting could suck. You could do all kind of thing. But you had to get our music right, John. Uh-huh. And the music yeah. it's, it's, all the music's garbage. It's like so I, listen, somebody say how this movie is made by AI. Uh, yeah, I, I'll believe you if I say that. You know, like if if somebody they show that, uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. But no, more likely humans making. It. I just it just felt like the laziest thing. Like dread, what happened with Ole Lose Lulin Manuel Miranda number or something? What going on? Or you know? <laughs> it was bad, right? Pretty bad. <laughs> this was this was a mess. Like I just I find Wish didn't work. And I sure I it have worse movies on the list. I sure, but I know Wish just real bother me, dread. Like really, we just had like Encanto a couple of years back. What going on with Ole? Yeah. That is a mess. Like, like unacceptable dread. Soul, Encanto, Moana, um, Coco. I mean, come on, dude. Come on. Mm. You cannot mess up music. Music is no. Your your bangers. I could, I could not like everything else. Every story could suck. Your character, da, 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 da. everything could be crap. But once you, you had to get them music right, you had to get them songs right, dread. And the the wish was so flat and terrible, dread. Pretty mm. bad. Yeah, that was most of the yeah. It just it's some just bother me. Bother me a lot. Just bother me. Right. I can't believe they make that. They work going on in Disney, boy. Yes. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, so now, 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 oh, now yeah. let's get to some some happy shit, right? So best of the best of the best, sir. Right. So Ricardo, you have the floor. Share your best. Sure. Well, all right. So I just get my we get two things. So I just going to cover the. Uh, all right. So this is first part of the list, right? This mm-hmm. is good shit I didn't see. Right. Good shit I didn't see. Uh, it's uh, it's stuff that I don't now. I don't know if it for sure that it would be great. But I'm pretty sure these things would have probably be damn good if it, if it was um on if I saw them. Right, so here's my list of good shit I didn't see. Right, uh, the boy and the heron, didn't see it. Mm. One to two. Yeah, I didn't get one to that one either. Yeah. So that list up, right? uh, uh, please, please, I... please, cinemas of Trinidad and Tobago, please give yeah. us this movie, please, please. Yeah, they had to bring, wow. they had to bring it. Up. We we, we yeah. promise no. we'll pay money to see it, please. This is something. This is something I I um this is something I had a, a, a I had a script idea for something similar in a local for a local version of it. I'll talk to you mm-hmm. after much about it. Right. But 
they made it. They made an, they made the version of it. And I was like, oh shit, this this is exactly similar, real similar idea I had. Uh, this is a movie called Late Night with the Devil. Mm. That's a damn cool premise. It's a cool premise. Look it up. It for some reason you can't find a good trailer for it. I don't think you can find a trailer, but it, the, the premise is great. Like ooh, and I, I really want to see it. It came out sometime earlier this year. Right. Um, next movie, um, Chalopi or the Peasants. Uh, there's a, a like a painted kind of movie. They do the the, the Love and Vincent thing with this. Uh, okay, look it up. okay. Looking, I know you talking. I want to see that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. American Fiction. Ah yes yes yes. Um, the Iron Claw. I, I think we're getting that in January in Trinidad. Right. Yeah. I ain't got a chance to see that. But I heard I heard really good things about it. Me too. Um, the Color Purple. Color ah, Purple. where we're getting that next week at the time of us re- um, recording All right. This. So mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance oh, to see okay. it at, the point, at this point in time, but I, I heard, did, this might make the list, but I heard, I, heard it's, I heard some good, I heard, I saw one review of it and it's a really, really good review, generally prison review. Right. Um, Wicked Little Letters. Did you see that? I heard that was pretty good. Um, all dirt roads taste of salt. I heard about yes, this. Yes, I've really heard about this. that too. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the book of Clarence. A lot of okay. hype around this. Didn't get a chance to see it yet. Right. Um, I am so ready to see that. Yeah. <laughs> last two. Um, poor things. Heard good things about that. And then zone of interest. Excited to see that. So I, I, just, I would yeah. love if we could get zone in Trinidad, but I know that poor things yeah. is coming out next month. I can't wait to see that. Right. Yeah. All right, so quick, just another quick list is internet video essays. This stuff does always make the list. All right, um, gotcha. I, I know you, you, know, you, you, you find some great ones, so, you know, looking look it up in the I, recommendations. It's, 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 it's stuff, oh, yeah. It's stuff, it's stuff that stick to me. Like, I don't go to my to, to look at it. It's just, oh, this is a damn good video. It's we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right, so number one. Well, this boy, this this man don't miss. This boy don't miss. Um, This is Financial Advice by Dan Olson. What this guy does, he breaks down. Oh, like, okay. Um, the kind of the culty nature of a lot of like the internet money stuff for so involving Bitcoin and whatever it is, but he goes it like it becomes cultish and he just gets into like this kind of borderline. I mean, you know, as the kids say, delulu, delusional, like absolute delusional thinking when it comes to like how money should work and involving this kind of stuff. And it's there's a movie I didn't see, oh I should have put this movie on the list because I didn't see the movie this year. A movie called Dumb Money, uh, that's similar to that. This idea mm. of you know, manipulating money and, and finance and just just how horribly flawed the system is. Um, second, yeah. CJDX sins of art, right? So oh. I think this came out late last year. So I'm not sure. I don't know if it came out this year. I think it came out this this late last year. But yeah, it's it's just the idea of art. So Mike Wise had a track called Twenty Seven Club. Yes. Right. Very mm-hmm. similar idea. Similar idea about the idea of sacrificing himself towards art and just having just. The idea of conceits towards the premise of suffering and, and the contrivance of suffering to art. And then um, another person called I really like in, in Canada, uh, Thoughts Line, has a great video about art and the nature of art. And just mm-hmm. the idea that you, you have to suffer for your art and this kind of contrivance towards suffering. And it's insidious business when you think about it. And mm-hmm. they, they, do, they do a good job of addressing that. Um, and the, you know, the relationship with art, what work you have to put in, how much effort you have to make, and why. Um, this one is an interesting one. When porn went woke... <laughs> by okay. foreign man and a foreign man. Oh. Yeah. This, this guy is a Bahamian, I think, and he does a little really good stuff on race and some interesting stuff, right? But this, this, one, this one stuck with me because of the nature of it, especially involving black men. And it, this was particularly interesting. It's a really, really, really fascinating video. The video, um, from what I heard, you know, it, the feedback has bounced off a little, not, not too great in, in, in leftist and progressive spaces. But I thought it was a very, it's one of those interesting discussions to start with. Like, but I heard if you had some, some problematic issues for it but for the most part I, I was in, really enjoying for what it is but again I'm too old for it in the sense of getting that aspect of it it's like it's 
high time uh, people talk about something like this with it and i thought that was a great video this one is one of the probably most successful video of the year probably biggest video of the year because of you know the drama and uh, well this is the counter counterpart to the art stuff h bomber guy plagiarism and youtube yes holy shit this was that, yeah. this man just copy that just nuke a man career dream. but <laughs> is, is this, this fellow is this fellow yeah and no so here's the thing i would without this video i didn't know who this guy was but apparently he's very popular in quest spaces and wherever it is he is he's really right. popular i don't know i don't know about him right again are too old are too outed right <laughs> and this man this man just like just run through how much plagiarism this man do about other people's videos and books and and is this man just did mm-hmm. not make an effort at all dread and yeah the man career more or less done dread man your career just completely imploded but va- vanish of the internet like wow I think it's even bigger than that because like he doesn't just destroy his career. He kind of does a great job of highlighting it's a how plagiarism. Yeah. There's a lot of people and also just like right. this idea that like like it, the ripple effects of this video have been truly yeah. spectacular, like wild yeah. to watch because yeah. now you get a whole bunch of follow-up videos of people being like, yeah. I discovered like I discovered that I got plagiarized by someone and it becomes yeah. this, it's, it's yeah, this it, right, it became a chain effect on a couple of It has like that is insane. Wow. Like, this wasn't a nuke of one man's career. This was a nuke right. of YouTube. Like yeah. YouTube is reverberating with that video. Yeah. It's it's wild. So there's a video I really I couldn't get to see the whole thing because I didn't have time. Um, but I got I saw the ten minute snippet of it. Um, this is uh, Lindsay Ellis's video on um, the death of John John Lennon and mm. the career of or the career of, of Yoko Ono. That that ten minutes was okay. solid stuff. Eh? That ten that ten minutes alone was like gripping stuff. Like wow. But I didn't get to see the whole thing. So I just but just what I mentioned because listen, if you're able to get Nebula for one thing, you probably should get for that. Got it. That, that, that ten minutes. That ten minutes had me gripped, and I see some good content from her in a while. So like, oh yeah, right. Yeah. All the shit on the never unfortunately. So you know, it's, it's a shame. Last but not least, and this this video, I can't believe. Okay, so I didn't sit down the entire time to watch the thing. I sat down with breaks, couple of breaks for it, but I sat down simply staying that long. I fell asleep because I was just too tired to keep up, but it had me gripped. The Lincoln Highway by Noah Caldwell Jervis. This is a seven-hour-long video. About this guy's traveling the entire Lincoln Highway throughout the United States, the continental US. Oh, wow. And it's oh, okay. so good, though. It's just this guy breaking down um, just the, the historical landmarks, the history of the highway, him talking about the nature okay. of the highway, which books he references with respect to that, and, and so on and so forth. And it's just such a great thing. This guy's always bring out great videos. He's always bring out videos on video games. Like, the first video <laughs> he ever did was on Call of Duty and the history of Call of Duty and the Bush administration, war, war on terror stuff, and that kind of stuff. But this video was so damn good. It's probably my favorite video of the year uh, when it comes to just just uh, favorite internet video essay. Fantastic stuff. So before my top 10, I'll just get into stuff worth mentioning. This is, this is my top mention list. And then we, you could get into the top 10 after, and then I'll get into my top 10. Right. That's good idea. So yeah, general, just honorable mentions in general. Um, best of 2003. 2023, sorry. Uh, Exposing Parchment. This is the documentary, DZ, uh, the, the prison. All right, that was pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. Cooking beer. I had fun. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was cool. Right. Fun. <laughs> it was fun. Right. Uh, as well, as you mentioned before, yeah, uh, you mentioned some, some quick TV. Yeah. The Bear, um, Scavengers Rain, uh, Castlevania Nocturne. Right. Um, this one I stuck with, stuck with me for the year. Creed 3. Dug it. Um, yeah, you know, you know, R.I.P. to John told me just career, but you know, Creed 3 was still hot. Um, John Wick 4. Uh huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Poker Face. Pretty awesome. Asteroid City, right? Pretty good. And then the Roald Dahl mm-hmm. shorts, all of them. 
I, I like all of them. The Rat one was the best one. <laughs> the, the, the Rat. Okay. That was hard. Yeah, but all yeah, the yeah, roller roll um, um, uh, Rat. Uh, sorry. Rat Catcher. Rat Catcher. Yeah. Rat Catcher. Yeah, yeah. But all the roll out shorts on Netflix. All of those were great. Yeah. Um, Beyonce, Renaissance. Uh, pretty good. Okay. 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 Yeah. Michael Jordan. Uh huh. Sneaker movie. Uh huh. That was okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Tetris movie. Yes, no. yes, yes. Um, Tetris was solid. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sisu. Ah, boy, Sisu. Love about, Sisu. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm a uh-huh. Virgo. Pretty good. Right. Nimona. I enjoyed that. Ah. Mm-hmm. Bleach, okay. Talvia, Blood War. Blood Core 2. Core 2. Hard. That of was course, of course, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. Big Bleach fan here. Loved it. Gran Turismo. Still haven't seen those yet. Shame on me. Yeah, dug it. Yeah. Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, me, me, uh, mutant, me, mutant Mayhem. I'll, I'll mention mutant that. Mutant Yeah. Uh, my Adventures to Superman, pretty good. Right. A Haunted in Venice. A Haunted in Venice. Ah, I didn't see that one as yet. Uh, yeah, pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. I dug it for what it was. Um, Extraction 2. Had yeah, fun with right, it. right. Mm-hmm. Has one it. of the best action uh, sequences all of, of, of the year, hands on. All year. Yeah, exactly. Um, Dungeons and Dragons. Had fun with this. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that was absolutely. solid. That was solid. Mm-hmm. House of Usher, right? You think? Right. Um, this would mention it because I was like, "Jeez, boy, this, this, this is it's just my type of stupid, is my type of silliness." <laughs> but um, Auntie Donna had their own their thing this year, uh, a new movie this year, and then please don't destroy her their movie this year. And they put them so dotish, yeah? but it's this the right type of dotish. I right. recommend looking, looking them up, right? Uh, this one is two of them, two of these close to each other, and but it, it you know it, it really tug at the heartstrings. Still a Michael J. Fox movie. Ah, uh, I'm gonna mention yeah. that. Too. Oh yeah, Harry Potter um, documentary, The Boy Who Lived. This is a really sad documentary. It's basically about a, I think it's the first film a kid who was a stunt actor got injured and got I think paralyzed or paraplegic. Oh, yes. It, and and it, they talk about the, all the actors having to you know thing with them and keep up with them over the years and whatnot. And he, he, the boy who lived, it's something like that you could easily die from now. So yeah, mm. it's a great great documentary. Um, wow. Argentina, nineteen eighty five. Um, right, right, right. Which, which we talked about for Oscar season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Path Lives. All right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I've heard great things about that one. Yeah, the holdovers. I enjoyed yep, it. yep, yep, yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Priscilla. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that as yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, get to that. Yeah, beef. Right, right, right. Still haven't seen mm-hmm. it yet. I know. Sh- yeah, shame beef. on me. I know. Yeah, beef. Um, Gen V. Right. Yeah, yeah. Great, great really spinoff of the yeah. boys. Um, Silo. Right. Nice little side right. Dug the hell out of it. Um, the Last of Us, of course. Pretty of course. good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was and funny. then there's something I would mention in, but it's not a, a TV show or anything like that in our in our circle, but I think it would mention because those I got it, you know, in well the e form of it and I thought it was great. Bill Watterson, the mysteries. Yeah, that Bill really? Watterson of right. Calvin and Hobbes Oh, yeah. Book, no, that's that, 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 like, what? And it, it's great. It's like, oh, this is excellent. Um, and then last, mm-hmm. definitely not least that I really enjoyed Swarm. The Swarm's house. A Swarm, yeah. Uh, I wanted I to see that. That's uh... the one I have to see as well. All right, so yeah, that's it. So it's just my top 10 list and that's it. All right, so uh, now we have reached to, uh, you know, um, the best movies of, right? The best movies of the year, I should say, right? Uh, so since, um, CC, I assume you have 20 as well. So um, I have 20 as right. well. So I'll just run through mm-hmm. 20 to 11. Um, CC, you'll quickly run through 20 to 11. And then we'll Correct. jump into Tracy's, then um, Ricardo's, then CC's, mm-hmm. and then they'll yep. close with me, you know, because it's me, right? Ha <laughs> ha. All right. <laughs> so before we begin, <laughs> before we begin this run through um, honorable mentions, stuff that didn't make the list, unfortunately, 
uh, Creed 3. This was actually in my top 10. This is actually number 10. Oh, but nice. Jonathan Majors, you know, yeah. they did what yeah. they did. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand and one. Yeah. Um, fantastic performance from Tiana Taylor. Um, nice. you know, there's a lot of Oscar buzz running it if she gets nominated, but that'll be great. Blackberry, you know, because this year you know, we're talking about air right. and we're talking about Tetris. But I thought that Blackberry was just as great as both of those films, right? Talk right. to me. Um, solid horror film, great debut from right. these two YouTubers who, you know, could could write and direct the hell out of a horror film. But yeah, talk to me was was excellent. Polite Society, you know, this was like a, a great yes. sort of like oh, feminist yeah. spin on yes. the two thousands Edgar Wright, you know, comedy kind of vibe. You know, so it right. it, it works there. Infinity Pool. Yeah, this was this was a movie where I was like, all right, Brandon Cronenberg, mm-hmm. all right, you 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 real dope. I I I I I fucks okay. with you now. I fucks with you, right? I, yeah, you you cool. You real cool. I I see what you bring to the table. I want to see what you bring next. And last but not least, I'm sorry that it's here, but maybe if I saw it over, I would have had it in my top twenty. Asteroid City. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very Wes Anderson. Um, but I know that there's a lot that and there's a lot. There's actually a really lot a, a lot that goes on in it. But I feel like if I watch it over. I'm like, oh, that's really what's going on. Okay, I get it, right? Oh, it's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I also have a Guilty Pleasures movies list, right? So just run through them quickly. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, Fast fantastic. X. One of the oh, best, so really? bad, it's good movies I've seen in a long while. The ending of that film, the ending of that film had me laughing my ass off. I, everybody was cussing and saying, what is a part two? I was laughing at that shit. I was so funny. I will not have you. <laughs> Speaking of X, Saw X. Yes, Um. somehow, some way, oh, yeah. they, they made me care well, should say give a shit about the Saw franchise again because I tune out of that franchise wow. since 5 but yes yeah, Saw X was just a great return to form Tobin Bell acted his ass off and yeah we still got the the the, the, the Gorno trills and chills that you expect from this franchise anyway right. right Evil Dead Rise as an Evil Dead fan it was great that they we, we get an Evil Dead movie that continues to build off of the great foundation that Sam Raimi built from since 1981 man and just it was just a delight, though, from start to end. Just visceral, you know, guttural, you know, trills, chills, and gore, and just all kind of insanity. But I just mm-hmm. loved it, right? Teenage Mutant right. Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. I had an absolute blast watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, this has go. one of the best needle drops and sequences built around needle drop <laughs> that I have seen all year. Like, like, uh, should I spoil it? Yes. Um, no diggity from Black Street. Yeah. I never would have thought in a million years we would have seen um, a, a Ninja Turtles movie with the song No Diggity in it. And that sequence from top to bottom is so amazing. I, I love that. I have not seen the film, but someone sent me that scene, and I was like, "Damn! Now I need to go see this movie." Yes, it is. It is brilliant. It's brilliant, yeah. right? Um, yes, Extraction Two, as I said before, mm-hmm. has one of the best action sequences ever. Like this thing went on for like what twenty five minutes or a half hour, right? Yeah, this long time, and it is insane. It is, it is wow, 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 right? And last but not least, a show that I saw quite recently, um, and this is going to be a staple um, for, for Christmas viewing for me going forward, Merry Little Batman. Yes, I had okay. so much right, fun watching know. this show. Nice. And, and just how they told the story was just so delightful and funny, dude. I, I really enjoyed nice. it, right? So yes, right. uh, CC 2011, your, 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 right. top, your top film discoveries. Yeah. Top film discoveries. Ah. 
starting with, and as usual, it's going to be 15 discoveries, and then the top five are going to be films that came out this year. Uh, there'll be a couple... One theme that we'll get back to is this idea of a filmmaker that I'm not always the biggest fan of coming back and redefining his work for me, but... Uh, we're gonna start with we're gonna start with that actually. We're gonna start with Lifeboat from 1944, directed by Alfred. I have not seen it. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by John Steinbeck. Grapes of Wrath, East of Eden, in one of his few screenplay like. Nice. Um, no, the the premise is simple: a boat crossing from the crossing from Britain to America during the war is sunk. And the survivors are all stuck on this on this lifeboat as they are trying to find ways to get help. It's a contained, claustrophobic, like not really quite claustrophobic, but it's it's this delightfully contained drama where like you you see all these characters go through all these different all these people coming from the different places all thrown together into this tense situation, and you see like like every person goes through like an arc. And a character, the characters collide with each other in such great ways. Um, there's like twists and turns. There are relationships that develop. There are people that like, like there's kind of, there's just so much that all happens in this one contained location. And like the cast is stellar. I mean, led by, I think the big name that most people recognize is Tallulah Bankhead. Um, but like the rest of the casts, um, as, as a war journalist who gets caught on the boat. And then everyone else are like, character actors and like people they feel like are a little less known but they are all fantastic and the film does such a great and the film does such a great job of giving you a sense of who all these people are um in in allowing you to just kind of sit back and watch them all interact off each other and goddamn if you don't start to get like you don't start rooting for people and feeling like a lot of investment given that you've just met these people and they've just met each other um Moving on, uh, that was number 20. Number 19, going off the theme of strong characterization and um, World War II movies, um, Best Years of Our Lives, directed by William Wyler. Uh, this is I haven't one, seen that neither, but I know about it. This is, yeah, this is one that was recommended um, when, when Sight and Sound did their poll for the greatest films of all time this year, um, and they were asking every filmmaker to name their 10 best movies. Um, this was one recommended by Oliver Stone. We'll come back to him in a bit. Um, and watching it, and so I was, I, I had never heard of it. I, I had heard of it, but I didn't know very much about it. But I saw Oliver Stone listed it as like one of his best, one of his favorites. So I was like, oh, okay, I got to check this out. But I gave it a watch. Um, it's phenomenal. Like, like with Lifeboat, you get a sense of who these characters are very quickly. And it allows you to kind of sit back and watch them interact. Obviously, the situation is you, you have three soldiers who have returned from the war to their to their either wives or fiancés or whatever situations like they return to the lives they left they left behind but not only is the country not the same as it was before the war but they're not the same and you're looking at all these situations like you have a married man with a grown daughter and there's this big interaction of like what what does his life look like now you have a man with a young wife and he's and he and her are trying to figure things out because like now he's like He's not making the money he was like in the in the army and the and the economy is not doing great. And so and she doesn't quite have the patience to like sit around, like wait for him to like get back on his feet. And then there's the third man. And this is the the part that I think movie is most known for a man who comes back at, um, with a man, a man who lost both of his hands in the war, who is now who who left a young fiance behind. And so throughout the film, he is also trying to wrestle and like come kind of come to a sense of who he is and like literally feeling like less of a man 
and wondering whether he is still worthy of the woman he left behind. Like all of three of these men have these really complicated relationships and you get to see them explore them and as, as they try to figure out who they are in this new world. It's a movie that, that wears its heart on its sleeve. It's a movie that is so satisfying in so many different ways from a dramatic standpoint. But it's a film that I cannot, like, it, it's a film I, can't, I cannot recommend. It, it's a charismatic film in a way that I think most people would appreciate. Number, next one on the list, Tales of Hoffman by Powell and Pressburger, uh, the same people who did Black Narcissus, The Red Shoes, um, Matter of Life and Death, like those, those same pair of British directors. Right. Um, opera is really difficult to translate to cinema because opera is a lot more technically complicated than most filmmakers seem to think it is. So there's a lot of like, hell, they're like even that even the clown who did the Les Mis movie. And that's not opera, but it's, it's almost opera. Str clearly struggled to actually translate that effectively. And then there's the whole argument of okay, if the, okay, you're getting the opera right, but are you still creating like a cinematically interesting film at the same time? But Tales of Hoffman manages. Tales of Hoffman is both from a technical standpoint as an opera, flawless. The plot follows this man who is, um, like, this man at a bar is regaling these, this group of other men about his misadventures in love. All of them are these supernatural, and he tells three stories of three different women he attempted to pursue and was foiled in all three instances by different right. um, supernatural. <laughs> all, th all three of these are supernatural stories. All three of them are, like, like they're, they all get complicated in different ways. Each, but it's Powell and Pressburger. So each story and the framing device has a distinctive color palette, narrative design. There's a lot of in-camera special effects work done. The colors are beautiful. I cannot, if you watch Tales of Hoffman for anything, just to look and feast your eyes on it as a work of art, while also appreciating it musically as the orchestra is so good, the vocal performances are excellent, they... It's not a movie that's for everyone. It's a movie that a lot of people struggle with. I mean, um, it's it's a difficult film because, again, opera is not a widely accessible genre for a lot of people. But I, it's a movie that I really think is worth putting in the effort to attempt to connect with. It's a movie that's um, really worth, like, if you have the opportunity to, to try watching it, even if you don't think it's your thing, it's worth sitting down and, like, truly appreciating as a work. Um, next one from 1953, uh, directed by Howard Hawks, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Late to the party on this one. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Easily the funniest film I've seen all year. Like, easily the absolute funniest movie I've seen all year. I give Hawks a lot of credit as a screenwriter's director because, like, he doesn't write his own films, but he directs them like he does. And I think that that's, like, one of his bridge strengths as a director. But... He's also an actor's director in a way that I that I don't think gets enough appreciation, not even from myself. Like, this is a man who coaxed really intricate performances out of John Wayne, of all people. But in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, he, he does that with Marilyn Monroe. And Marilyn Monroe is funny. I've seen movies where Marilyn Monroe is really good at being a comedian. Um, I gave her film The Misfits a shout-out a couple years back for my Discoveries list as great dramatic work from her. But Gentlemen Prefer Blonde is probably her funniest work as a comedian, at least that I have seen. And she and Hawks, like, she and Hawks clearly understand, um, like, like she and, she and Hawks clearly have an understanding of the material and, like, like they, they understand each other. 
in a way that is so good to see with a director and actor. And although to say nothing of, of the rest of the cast, including Jane Russell as her co-star. And it's just such a great comedy about relationships and like love, sex, honestly. And then the music is also absolutely phenomenal. From 1959, this is a bit of a deep cut, but 10 Seconds to Hell, directed by Robert Aldrich. Um, imagine the Hurt, well, not quite, but in basic premise, imagine the Hurt Locker, but it's a post-war, like, post-war film, so set in, like, West Germany. You have a group of men who, in the war, were kind of made into a reluctant bomb disposal squad because they all fell out of favor with the Nazis, and now the war is over, and the Allies and the, are trying to rebuild Germany. They know some of the most about bomb disposal. And so throughout the course of the runtime, you see this gang of men as they are all as they work tirelessly to help the help the new government dismantle all of the unexploded bombs all over Berlin. It is as tense as it sounds like, no, this is not a movie where you should get attached to any of these characters. Um, just not, not, not a spoiler, just just knowing it. Not everyone is going to make it out. It's it's a tense Hence, movie. And that's just the basic premise. Like, the sequences where these characters are disposing of the bombs, and they're trying to answer all these different calls, they're trying to, like, do all, like, all the different scenarios, all the different times bombs get, unexploded bombs get discovered, and they have to be called in to deal with it. Like, that's all tense enough. But the inter-character dynamics, where they make an agreement early on that they're all going to see this thing through to the end, unless they all agree they know they all want out. But the problem is, as more and more of them die, there's some who want to back out, and there's like one who's like, "No, I want to see this through to the end because what else have I got to live for?" The main tensioner between the two leads, um, one played by Jack Palance, one of my favorite strange actors. Like, I mean, the man has genuine dramatic chops, but I also love the fact that like he manages to deliver his lines and perform it. Like, he's he's a, he's one of those actors who manages to perform everything in the least intuitive way, but the most compelling is the way I would say that. And then he's opposite Jeff Chandler, who plays the, the soldier who doesn't want to back out even when most of the gang is dead. It's a tense movie, it's thrilling, and I highly recommend it. Moving on to 1968, I have Uptight, directed by Jules Dassin. Um, this is one that's gotten a lot of talk and discussion recently, I think, or at least I've heard more people talk about it. Um, the basic premise is uh, uh, Martin Luther King has just died, and a group of black revolutionaries, like there's, there's this tension throughout the country, and you have a group of black revolutionaries where their leader is on the run from the, from the law because he's suspected of being like an especially violent radical, and one of them sells him out to the authorities, and he is killed. And the thing that's so interesting about that, like the film doesn't like the film doesn't like make it like it's a mystery because we the audience know which member of the revolutionaries killed like which sold him out like who the Judas is but the group themselves have to figure it out and so you see these two stories played in parallel to each other you have the Judas this Judas character who's wrestling with the who's wrestling with the the torment and the psychological like like he's all the tension and the, and all this stuff and the guilt but then you're also seeing this group who are trying to figure out who among them sold their leader out to like who who among them sold their leader out to the authorities um it's 
It's a great movie. Um, great performances from Losco, Roscoe Lee Brown and a very young Ruby D. I think this was one of her first movies. Um, the cast in general is absolutely fantastic. Um, and the film is just so delightfully tense. The way it plays these two stories in parallel with each other is just absolutely genius. And it, it results in a movie that it becomes very dramatically satisfying, like from like a screenwriting and from a dramatic, it could almost stage this as a play at times. Like that's, it's how intimate the characters and the tension is. Um, staying in 1968. Um, and I've got, oh, I've got two Burt Lancaster films back to back. huh? Um, Cause the next one's also a Burt Lancaster movie, but this one, 1968 directed by Frank Perry, the swimmer starring Burt Lancaster as this middle class to wealth, uh, well, as this like society man who we start the movie, he's this like wonderful man beloved by his community who like kind of guy who can pop into his neighbor's swimming pool and go for a swim. And he gets this idea in his head because he realizes that, well, he hears that a couple of his neighbors have put in new pools and he realizes that there's a chain of houses with pools connecting, you know, the house he's in at the start of the movie to his own house. And so he decides, oh, okay, I am going to go from house to house. I'm going to swim all their pools and pretend it's a great river. The thing about this movie is that it is one of the most devastating films you will ever see. I cannot explain it. There's, it's a movie that teases out. Like, I, The only thing I will say is that this is a man who doesn't... He's not quite the person he thinks he is, if that makes sense. And there's a certain level of the fact that his community certain members of them especially early on are humoring him but like as things go on it becomes more and more clear that maybe just maybe this guy is like this guy is not does not quite live the perfect life that he thinks he does that maybe things aren't quite as great like it becomes this 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 case study about denial about a midlife crisis about you know the, like the person, like this person who like thinks he's one way and then like is perceived and even is like something completely different. It's a story. It's that it's an absolutely brutal film. I'm being vague on purpose because if you go into it completely blind, by the time you get to the end, you feel like you have been not punched in the gut. You have been kicked in the gut and you still have to stand up somehow. Um, no, so The Swimmer, 1968, directed by Frank Perry, starring Burt Lancaster. Also starring Burt Lancaster from 1976, we have a truly bombastic, truly wild movie that I cannot recommend enough. This one, this one I got, this was like a film I just got in passing from like, um, I, I saw Hideo Kojima listing it as a film he's, he's a big fan of. And I had, and it's from directed by George P. Cosmatos, who's an action director. I quite appreciate him. He made Tombstone, one of my favorite Westerns of all time. Because I was like, oh, okay, I'll give this a check out. The Cassandra Crossing. It is so, so good. It's this hybrid political thriller slash government, like, like political, like, like government suspicion type movie. But it's also like a, like, 60s Irwin Allen disaster film with this amazing ensemble cast. Um, terrorist breaks into a government facility in Europe where they are experimenting with some kind of artificial disease, although we learn this later in the film. He escapes and ends up on a high-speed trans-European train. So there's an effort being made to contain the outbreak before anything bad happens. 
but there's also kind of an effort being made to cover up the fact that this is this is an artificial like a man-made possibly weapon that was developed at some earlier point all this orchestrated by a shadowy government figure played by Burt Lancaster but he's like the tip of the iceberg for this cast like again Sophia Loren, Richard Harris, Martin Sheen, O.J. Simpson, Ava Gardner. Like, this is this... The cast is absolutely insane, and they're all playing these, like, absolutely insane... Like, like I'm sorry, o. I'm sorry, O.J. Simpson? O.J. Simpson! He plays... Wow, like, okay. No, it's, it's insane! Uh, I kind of really need to see this one now. No, it's, an, it's... He plays a character who you don't know if he's, like... You, you you know he's working for somebody and he his cover is as some kind of priest, but you know he's working for someone else. And you know he's working. And then you got Sophia Loren and Richard Harris are exes, and like there's a lot of romantic tension between them, but there's also just a lot of, and then like the action in this film is just so good. Like George P. Cosmatos, again, this is the man who directed Tombstone. This action is so well done. And like the the, the tension of this is great. It's just it's and it's such a well-contained film, and then it gets shadowy. There's a, there's moments that will remind you of George A. Romero's The Crazies, but there's other moments that will remind you of again films like The Poseidon Adventure or um, Towering Inferno. And again, this comes recommended by no less than Hideo Kojima. So there's a lot of influence you kind of see there on some of his own work. It's a truly bonkers, bonkers movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah of absolutely. Like right. and then, sounds like a vibe. It's a great vibe. I cannot recommend it enough. And then I've got um, I've got two more before I get done with my uh, I got my my twelve and eleven. Uh, twelve. This is the ninth configuration, written like written and directed by William Peter Blady. Yes, the man who wrote The Exorcist, based on his own book. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. yep. If anyone here has seen if anyone here has seen Exorcist three, you know yes. that William Peter Blady is a strange man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he is a intellectual, philosophical, like, truly, like, this is a man who I could, I could absolutely imagine, like, someone who kind of, the kind of person who stares into space just thinking. And he makes such truly strange art. And what I love about the Ninth Configuration is that, on the one hand, you could almost say that, yeah, this is very much almost, an almost, like, like, artsy-type film. But there's also just this truly strange element to it at the same time. Like this is a mo- like again, uh, just for those who are unaware, it's, it's um, a, a new psychiatrist is brought to a hospital that specializes in um, people dealing with uh, like what I think was supposed to be like like psychological breakdowns related to PTSD and war service. So it's like a, a special hospital for veteran for veterans and act and then soldiers and. There's just so much about this film, like even just li- giving the premise doesn't really do much of it justice because so much of this film is so meditative and so bizarre and so like character, like it's a movie that wants you to think like you can't really appreciate the film unless you're also thinking about it and like talking about it and like still processing it like afterwards. All I will say is that one of the best, like like the main character is a man, is a man, like an astronaut who got on the runway and was about to take off for a moon mission and then panicked at the last second. And then somehow in the middle of all this, it also becomes about God and theology and, like, mankind. And it's just so delightfully out there in a way that I absolutely loved. And then my number 11, um, 
a film that I would like if I was arranging these by like how much I liked them versus chronologically, this would probably be my like top five of the year. Um, but just brilliant, brilliant film. And another film like Lifeboat and another one we'll get to later that kind of made me look at the creative in a different way. But that would be Warren Beatty's Reds from 1981. I can't remember which critic, but there was, a critic yeah, who, okay. there, was, there was a critic who described it as the last American historical romance epic. Like that whole, yeah. like this whole idea of you have this turbulent love story set against this much bigger historical event. And I would kind of agree because, yeah, we've had films like that since then. I would say the Titanic is a pretty good example. But Reds has this classical construction to it. It feels very classical. But at the same time, and this is what I find so compelling, it's very modern. It's very contemporary. It's got this, it's very new in an exciting way. Like the the basic plot is it's about the relationship between Louise Bryant and John Reed, the two American, like, communist journalists who documented the Russian Revolution, and, and right. he, yeah. John Reed himself, would later write the book, Ten Days That Shook the World, documenting right. the event. It also becomes a snapshot of the American socialist movement, the American Communist Party, like, at that time in history, so we get to see, meet Emma Goldman. Uh-huh. Eugene O'Neill, played by Jack Nicholson, yeah, which is so weird. Eh? I remember that was so like this was yeah. the year where I this is the year where I had to reevaluate my thoughts on Jack Nicholson because I also saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which would have right. almost made the list, but I watched it too late. Um, so it was a little bit of a cutoff there. But Jack Nicholson, I realized, oh, this man can't can't just act. This man is also capable of performances that have a certain degree of subtlety and a certain degree of nuance that I feel like is lacking from some of his most let's say popular movies right like you're not like this is a this is a jack nicholson you don't see in you know as joker in burton's batman is is a solid is a solid gene hackman performance as well i mean it is like he's yeah and it's and gene hackman but then obviously the way Beatty directs the movie fascinates me it is Mm -hmm. one of the things about the movie i keep coming back to again and again and again because again it's a very classical romance set against this historical epic but at the same time the performances especially some of like some of the best scenes are some of the scenes between diana keaton diane keaton who doesn't get as much respect as she deserves as a series as like a dramatic actress like she gets a lot of respect as a comedian as a comedian but not a lot of respect like an actual dramatic actress and here she is in a cast of method actors and she i think she herself is a method actor and here she is holding her own like like dramatically like 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 working in scenes where she plays opposite Warren Beatty who again writer director but then who's also directing her but then it also has these great scenes with Nicholson um the plot is so delightfully complex and plays out and it was one of the only times recently I've seen Emma Goldman in either film or on stage done justice I think uh like if you don't know who Emma Gold, if you if you don't know who Emma Goldman is, you're in for a delightful Wikipedia Google deep dive. Um, and then, but just and then, no matter what is happening, the film manages to root itself back in that core relationship between between John Reed and Louise Bryant. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes they are the most in love of any people on the planet. Other times, other people get involved, but. 
the film remembers to come back to them no matter what. And then also just the way it holds itself as a work of history. I really appreciate all the interview segments with like, because this was made in 1981. And at the time, there were still more member people who had been members of the American socialist movement that were actually alive and are talking about the events happening. And like, almost like little, almost the pseudo documentary effect where you have these people talking about the events that happened and their own takes on it. And it becomes this truly... Like, it's one of those movies that I barely understand how it exists, but god damn, do I appreciate that it exists. So, 2311, right. talking quick, right? Number 20, how to blow up a pipeline. Yes, okay, um, this, this, this great sort of pseudo documentary take on just these guys who want to do right, you know, by saving the environment, man, but you see how it all kind of falls apart, right? And it's just so, it's just so fascinating to watch, right? While at the same time, it's just sort of shaking, you're like, wow, y'all should have known better, right? It's explosives, dog. You don't do that with explosives. Come on, right? Number 19. Um, you're going to be hearing about this come Oscar season, Anatomy of a Fall. Um, right. Just well-directed. Mm. well directed. Um, Sandra, I'm forgetting the name right now, the, the, the lead in this film. She's also in the zone of interest. Um, she's going to get an Oscar nomination for this one for sure. She killed it with this performance, right? And yeah, story-wise, very well written, very well put together, right? Number 18. Right. David Fincher's Return to Neo Noir with The Killer. Yes, uh, okay. Michael Fassbender just, just oh, being this cold-blooded hitman step, who's going step. through this crisis of conscience. It was again, it was like for me the, the winner, the MVP out of this is is David Finch. Just going back to that dark, gritty neo noir stuff that we love from him ever since he dropped Seven, right? But yeah, it was great with seeing him return to his roots with that, right? Number seventeen, Sisu. Um, great take on the whole yeah. John Wick formula, but it's just set during Nazi mm -hmm. Germany, and it's just badassery, and this old oh, guy yeah, just showing yeah. that he could he could hold his ground. So you know, if you're fed up of seeing John Wick, or if you're seeing uh, fed up of seeing Equalizer, yeah, watch this guy from Sisu I forgot yeah. right now. But yeah, he was a badass. So hands down. Number sixteen, another film you're gonna be hearing about come Oscar season, May December. Julianne Moore, Natalie yes. Portman, they killed it with that performance. Todd Haynes. Killed it with 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 that with with his direction. Um, and just that story though is just so salacious, but at the same time, it's just so provocative. At the same time, it's, it's just so well done. Though. You can tell that Todd Haynes is just kind of taking the piss out of these characters. But at the same time, you're watching them and you're like, you know, I should hate you guys, you no, know, but I just can't help but watch all that and just see how they fall apart. <laughs> but it's just the story is just so well done, right? Number fifteen, just a genuine surprise for me, man. El Conde boy, talk about. Nice. Taking, nice, a, nice. taking the vampire genre and flipping it on its heels though in and, and doing mm. it and telling this this great political satire about well yeah this the um oh gosh I forget the the guy's name the dictator of um Pinochet. Yeah Pinochet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. Right. Mm. And just finding this really clever, dark way to tell his uh, you know, basically like the later years of, of this guy's life, right? But within the wow. guise of a vampire story and a superbly oh. shot uh, as one as well, right? The black and white cinematography for this is gorgeous. And it's on Netflix right yeah. now, so you all need to check this out, right? Number 14, they clone Tyrone. Wow, wow, wow. Talk about oh. taking black exploitation nice. tropes and flipping them on its heels, making them modern, making them fresh. But doing it under this nice, you know, sci-fi satire you know, in the vein of something like they live, where it's like, oh, you know, everything seems all normal, right. but no, there's all this, ah, there's a conspiracy going on, ah, the, you know, the man is trying to get yes. at us, right? But how they, they, they explore that was really well done. Um, it's funny, it's witty, it's clever. The ending is great. The needle drop at the end is fantastic. I love it, right? Number 13, you mentioned um, before, Ricardo, air, 
Yes. Um, directed by Ben Affleck, of all people, and him, and, and Matt Damon Sarnis. And yes, it's just great seeing the two of them together. And who would have thought a story about the origin of the Nike Air shoe? Yeah, just made for like this great story of just, you know, just... You know, it's just the idea of what this 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 item means, what the shoe means. It's not just about the commercial, the commercial aspect of it, the benefit of it too, but it's really about the significance and the long term benefit of it too, right? And yeah, who'd have thought you get a great story out of this, right? Number twelve. So Ben as a, as a director, Ben as a director is is it for me is always like I I will go and see anything that Ben as a director does. Ben as a right. as an actor, I have to consider whether or not I want to actually watch it. But once I know he's either directing or or has some writing credit on it, it kind of would be like, yeah. So for me, it was like, oh, he's directing it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, as I said before, with my worst stuff, you know, just you know, just when you thought that the romantic comedy was dead, hey, number 12 happened, right? Rylene. Yes, I enjoy this one so mm-hmm. much, though. I've never been to South London. I've never been to the Rylene market, but that place just looks so vibrant. Um, and you know, it's just this great romantic comedy though with these two likable leads and just the story that 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 stole and whatnot and just how vibrant it all is and just so well shot and you can just feel the heart in it as well though and, and it's genuinely funny as well, right? Absolutely worth checking out. And number eleven, you call it before Ricardo, still a Michael J. Fox movie. Um, talk about an inspirational film though, you know, like you know the stuff with what went down with um with, with Michael J. Fox and the Parkinson's disease stuff, but mm-hmm. how they frame it yeah. basically mm-hmm. with him narrating the whole story, um, yeah. and you know just from his come up as an actor and whatnot and how he had to deal with Parkinson's, right? And just pretty much showing that you know despite your your circumstances, you could still rise above those things and be. A great person and just you know impact the world in a positive way man and yeah i i really appreciate that about this film man could have been in my top 10 but you know 11 seems 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 fine for me right so yeah absolutely enjoy those uh tracy if you don't mind just just run through quickly your your top 10 um then uh ricardo will will share his then cc will will share theirs and then i will close things off because hey it's my show right <laughs> all right so <laughs> tracy just just running through your your, your top 10 all right, so here are my top 10 films for 2023. So number 10, Megan or M3 Gan, whichever one of us, because it was fun. I should probably... Oh, yes. I should probably... Right. Yes, January, January the 6th. January. I should just prop- January the 6th, it came out theatrically. Um, so I was like, yes, joy for joy. Yeah. This list that I have here, I literally have it subtitled as Tracy's Year of Comfort. So these are films that some of them <laughs> may not have been... Um, a, uh, criti- critically or financially a success but I saw it and I was like I love it I need it and obviously there are, there are some some of them that um, was a high trade you know what I'm talking about so number right. 10 um, Megan that is real number 9 D&D Honor Among Thieves my geek sister yes, nice. was like uh, you need to watch this movie and I'm dragging you to the cinema and she dragged me to the cinema and I saw it and I have never played D&D I have never cared to play D&D but I sat down and I watched this movie I was like, this is cool. I would like more of this, please. Um, so that's number nine. Number eight is Blue Beetle. Nice. Because okay, I, okay, I, okay, I, okay. Yeah, nice one. Absolutely. Yeah. I, thoroughly en- I thoroughly enjoyed it. I like the idea that he is the, even though Superman is going to be the big tentpole movie, uh, you know, Jaime is basically the first person from DC Studios um, the first character from DC Studios. So, you know, more power to it. And the intimacy of the family and all of that, that was just joy. So I had fun with that. Number seven. Now, given the fact that I have Mission Impossible in a could have been better 
I know it's going to say something when I say what number seven is on my best of 10 list. But number seven is Fast Hex. Um, Whoa. Because... <laughs> I forget about this movie. <laughs> we can, we can forget about Fast Hex, Ricardo. Come on. I listen. I check. I check out our franchise about four movies ago. So you know, <laughs> there's a, a problem that I have, and I saw it. Re- but I, there's a problem that I have with um, these franchises, and it's like this: if these films, if Fast and Furious had more pedigree actors in it, I feel like people would give it a little bit more. So, like you have your mm. Tom Cruises, you have your your whoever's going to be Bond. You have, you know, your your Henry Cavill coming out next year in Argyle or whatever. Um, and so stuff like that is always going to get a little bit more boof than, you know, uh, Vin Diesel balling family every five minutes. But this movie was just so much fun. One, two, it is basically the Joker versus Batman. It is it is street <laughs> Joker versus street Batman, you know, where Dante as and and I, I I really appreciated Jason Momoa as as Dante and as Ashante Dante Ashante, so that became my number seven. Um, number where is it? Number six. Number six is Polite Society, because it mm-hmm. brought me back to the Bended like Beckham days and the idea of uh, directed by uh, Nita Manzur. But I like the idea of it and even the 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 the, the sisterhood and trying to save your sister from this maniacally evil family and the wedding and how it turns and the main villain of it is actually the villain in Miss Marvel as like, you know, I, I see what you're doing with this is hilarious. So that was number six. Um speaking of number five oh. the Marvels. Oh number five okay, is wow. <laughs> hey hey I, I mean, don't teach know right. what teach yeah I swear I don't know what the critics saw because like I I mean, even that musical interlude on Aldani, I was like, oh, this is just too much hype. But I, I, what I liked about it is that Joss Whedon had said this thing, and I always go back to this. Joss Whedon had said when he did the first Avengers that um, he had done it, even though it's an ensemble movie, it was done from Steve's point of view. So Steve is this fish out of water who is meeting this team and this Hulk and all these other different people how is Steve the soldier operating? And this film is basically from Imani's point of view, from, from Kamala's point of view. Right, so Kamala yeah. has now, you know, Kamala is meeting her idol and her idol has a niece and that has some family dynamic that needs to get, I really wish they had dived in a little bit more, but, um, and I have this one particular headcanon, which I will keep to myself, but I have this this thought process in terms of what was really going on with Maria. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I have the soundtrack Laura Kaufman soundtrack is just joy. So that is number five. All right. So number four, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. There nice. is, I, 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 yeah, I find no go. fault with this film. I really find no fault with this film. This art style, the way how it's done. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So this is a two up, up, uh, a two-parter because we know that there is the, the finale is coming out whenever it's coming out. But this felt like a whole film even though we yeah. know that it's coming out. Right. Yeah. So you see why I still have a problem with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a much Spider-Man. stronger cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you still feel like a wholeness. It's like, oh, okay, we know that there is like th- this thing is happening and we have to go and save Miles and deal with all the scenes that's going on there. But it was still a vibe. All right. Which brings us to my top three. My top three had me in hype mode. Um, like, well... 
had me in hype mode for the whole year, some more than others, as you all will very well know. So number three is The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Okay, wow. So here's the thing. I don't have I don't have the physical book, but I did get the audiobook. And I sat yeah. down and well, I mean, well, I moved around, but I had the audiobook. And all throughout the audiobook, I had two things. One was like, Coriolanus is an idiot. This man is a muck. And, <laughs> you know, how he moves into becoming the dictator president that we know and hate and love through Donald Sutherland is just joy. And I will throw these two things out. One, um, Susan says that, you know, and, and everybody around Susan says she's not doing another book or anything like that unless she thinks... She has something to say. So she did the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and she had something to say and she did it out there. It doesn't feel like her, and forget her political things aside, it doesn't feel like her magical compatriot who will send out a tweet and say right. things like, did you know that Harry likes vanilla ice cream? And then suddenly <laughs> Warner Brothers does a whole video game right. on collecting a video ice cream. You know that, that kind of traditionist? Yeah. This felt like, oh, you had something that you needed to say, you said at the end. And even though this was the 10th Hunger Games, it is the first Hunger Games, as far as I'm concerned. It's the first where you you finally get um, the, the tributes get the, the, to, 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 the tributes get stuff a little bit more, they get a little bit right. of money because Dean Highbottom gave, gave us some money at the end. Stuff that they didn't touch on Stuff happened in the books, like at the end of the books, when he's talking to uh, to Volumen, Volumnia Gaul, he's the one who introduced the idea of making it mandatory through viewing in all the districts, because the districts, some of the people in these districts, they didn't have, they wasn't watching TV, none of them knew. And then what they had done in the book was um, they wiped all coverage of 10. So the only person who has a copy of it is Dr. Volumnia Gaul, in her in her closet, in her wardrobe, in her whatever it is like that. So it allows now for Lucy to veer uh, into into obscurity, except for maybe in the memories of one or two of her friends. But that was it. So and I have both soundtracks, which is absolutely joy. And I've never really cared to listen to anything from Olivia Rodrigo, not because I don't like Olivia Rodrigo. I just feel like she's not for me. But you can't touch me, hold me now, or whatever the name is on it is just. Prime and anything Rachel Ziegler sings in that soundtrack is just joy. So that's number three. Number two is a bit of a toss-up um, because I have been memeing and making a set of old noise about these two movies from since they said that they were going to do these two movies. Uh -huh. So two and one, two and one is basically um, the Barbenheimer Award with <laughs> number yep. two. Number <laughs> number two, <laughs> I am giving, and I'm only putting this at number two, not because it doesn't deserve number one. It's actually interchangeable. But um, number two is Oppenheimer. Uh, yeah. Number not, not two surprise. is mm -hmm. Oppenheimer. It is it is brilliant. I so here's what I did. I dressed up. I had my I have my pink, I survived Oppenheimer T-shirt. I went into the cinema on opening day. Um, I dragged my geek sister because when she saw when I saw Dungeons and Dragons, she's started to groan and she's like, I know you're going to drag me to see Barbie, so I accept it. Because um, she doesn't consider herself a Barbie girl, but, you know, whatever. And I saw Oppenheimer first. And then I saw the other one. And that movie is... I, I'm, the word in my brain right now is transcendent. It is just absolutely delicious. The way how 
Christopher Nolan decides to go and make, in essence, the bomb without the bomb so that we can have a visually stunning film. The way how even the scenes that jar you like that, you know, the sex scene in the testimony um, room, like, well, you know, that little bit, it's like, oh, my God, it's nothing feels gratuitous. Nothing feels lazy. And it is because of that. It is up on my on on my on my top films, and naturally, number one, my number one film for twenty twenty three. It's amazing that I I number ten is a doll, and, and number one is a doll, and I'm only now realizing uh, this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, is Barbie. This movie, I because I remember for years, literally seeing the news. It's like how it is with. He-Man. Every five minutes, there's a He-Man piece of news. Oh, they're going to have a new He-Man movie. Oh, no. Whatever is yeah. there is going to be a He-Man and nothing ever happens. And I heard this stuff about Bobby. I heard Amy Amy Schumer was supposed to be attached. I heard when Anne Hathaway yeah. was supposed to be attached. I heard all this stuff and nothing happened. And then I heard, oh, okay, we're actually doing this. And I said, good, let me see what's happening. And then the December, the November for um, uh, a cinema con. So December 2022 or November 2022, they dropped those first photos with Barbie in her car and Ken leaning up on uh, a pillow with his Calvin Ken underwear and his, his, his jeans. And it's like, oh my God, this is a movie. And then somebody released that shot of them in um, uh, on the roller skates. Uh, it was no official shots, but it was just like paparazzi shots or something like that. And I just, I needed it. And everything, mm-hmm. the Dua Lipa soundtrack, even, you know, the, well, not the Dua Lipa soundtrack, but the Dua Lipa song, bringing in Barbie Girl, um, the way how the film ended, the final scene of that film, because yep. that yep. was nowhere near anything that I think I, w- I would have ended the film on, but that was just brilliant. It had heart. It had, I saw, listen, I saw a great deal of guys, and I mean, like, Older guys and young guys, and it wasn't just oh, I'm being dragged because my girlfriend wants to see it. No, no, no. Right. They right. were there front and center in pink, yeah. enjoying Barbie. And I, 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 love I, I love this movie, and I'm fearful for this movie as well because now that um, Mattel has their own Kevin Feige department, I'm right. talking about what well, we want to do X, Y, and Z. The only other thing that I'm looking out for from Mattel is Barney because it's Daniel Kaluuya. Right. The way how they're talking about it. The way how they're talking about it, they say it's going to be dealing with like adult themes and 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 like well, you know, frustration, sadness, and all the other things. And I have this kind of quasi Ted vibe, you know, like Barbie is all Barney is all I love you, you love me, but you know what? Nobody has time for love in his will. And I want to see what Daniel Kalua, as executive producer of this film, does. I don't need to see the Magic 8-Ball movie. I don't need 12, okay. 12 um, uh, Hot Wheels movies. I don't I need to Barbie. see um, Barbie 2, 3, and 4. Greta said it quite. Greta and Margot said it right. Everything that we needed to say, we said in this movie. And even when the, the, the executives themselves were not thrilled with some of this stuff, they were open to the idea of, let's see how this works. I don't need... I, and and don't get me wrong, I love the MCU, I love DC, but I don't need to feel like an MCU cash grab from Warner right. Brothers. Where it's like, let's well everything and the kitchen sink. If Bobby was good, the end it was. I don't even need to see 
because people are doing this thing now where, okay, so we had Barbenheimer, the next one was Saw Patrol, and I was yeah. like, I, I, no, just, just let it no. die. So, yeah. um, that's my worry, but the film, um, and the soundtracks, plural, it is, it is delicious. Charlie, Charlie X, CL. I, I mean, like, oh my God. So that's my top 10 from Megan at number 10, the Marvels at number five to number five, Marvels at number five to Barbie and Oppenheimer as uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie as number two and number one. That's it for me for 2023. Nice, nice, nice. All right, Ricardo, your your top 10 best movies. Oh, sure, sure. All right, so, you know, going from number one, well, back to number 10. Uh, number 10, Polina Ken, Barbie. All right, uh, really all right. like this movie. All yeah, right. dug, dug hell out of it. You know, it, it, you know, they made all the right calls for it for the most part. It 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 dropped yeah. a little bit in my eyes over the time because it had some really solid like critiques of it for the most part. But again, for a movie this size, it, it's kind of hard to avoid. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, number nine, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Uh, yeah, yep. this was really engaging. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, just solid stuff across the board um, for it, and it, it just was intense and it really works. Number eight, Rylan. Nice. Uh, really enjoyed this movie. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyed as a, just a, a great, just nice romantic, romantic comedy. It's really funny, you know. You know, you know black British, uh, black Caribbean British. It, it, a lot of it works, and it just come together so well. All right, number seven, Maestro. Uh, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, that shocked me. Um, yeah, Bradley Cooper, real do you think, Jared? I, I was so shocked at how good this was. It just, it just works so well again. You know, using Leonard Bernstein's career and then using the movies that his music is part of as the aesthetic for the film itself. Wow. It kind of it kind of good. I thought it was great. And yeah, Barry Cooper really improved as a director. You know, um, the, the last movie did as, um, what is it? Uh, 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 a Sarsborn. right. Sarsborn felt a bit amateurish. Like, it, it good, but it, it felt like amateur. This, this felt like he really came to his own as a director, I find. And it really, really was excellent to me, in my opinion. Um, number six, mm-hmm. as a tie. Um, so number six has a tie. It's two movies. Um, we clone Tyrone. Uh-huh. All right, loved it. Thought that was great. And then El Conde. Nice. Yeah. Conde was kind of hard. Conde was kind of hard. Like I love Pablo Larraín, great director. You know, a big big fan of No, big fan of the um, the movie did with uh, with Natalie Portman. Um, the the Jackie. 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 Yeah, great. Yeah, but yeah, didn't really feel the Diana movie. But this, this is how you had to do it, Richard. Yeah, this was this is really fantastic. Uh, number five, Garden City Galaxy, Volume Three. There you go. Nice. Yeah. I mean, nice. in my humble opinion, yeah, I kind of gonna say it. I, I, the more I'm thinking about, it, I think it's the best of the Guardians movies, in my opinion. I mean, this just comes Ooh. together so well. Loved it. You know, just the stuff with the rocket was so damn good. Um, just really emotional, great action sequence at the end there. Everything just come together so well, and and really, really. Really genuinely heartfelt stuff, and yeah, mm-hmm. if if this is the if this is the, the template for James for for the DCU, yeah, already you know in in Gun We Trust, Lego. Gotcha. In yeah, Gun We Trust. In Gun We Trust, number four, <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay. What can you say? What can you say? Yeah. I, I just Scorsese really bring it to this drug. Yes, he this did. was so damn good. It, I mean, yes, man, just bring it. Yeah, no, he, he reframed the, the, the book and the narrative in a really smart way. It really works and comes together. It doesn't flow all that well, and, and it could have flowed a little better. If it flowed better, it would probably be high on the list. But, you know, and then when it gets to the, the, the material that the book covers, it, it starts to pick up speed and really, really comes together well. Um, as I said, the only weak link was really Leo in this, but everybody else, I mean, listen, Robert, um, 
De Niro just disappears into his role dread as a truly menacing and villainous figure. Yes. And, you know, to, to find out. And then uh, so, uh, top of that, you know, like a, a guy like that, the guy was a real person. Like, goddamn, brutal. Lord. Uh, but yeah, this this was this was excellent. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar, familiar with the story, loved it. Um, it's course, easy. And then uh, that, that final sequence with the reframing of it in the true crime kind of thing they was doing. Brilliant. Oh, and I, so and yes, yeah, so excuse me, make his, um, his career, his, his appearance. Uh, this one surprised me. I surprised. So number three, I am surprised this stuck so high on the list for the year. I really thought this would have dropped off or drop at all. And it actually didn't for me personally. A thousand and one. I nice. did not expect to so enjoy this as man. much as wow. I Yeah, I did not expect to enjoy this as so much. The thing of this movie, it going normal, eh? Until the the last reveal about someone. I'm like, wow, you're serious? That Reldra dude. Like it's such a great, like it is an emotional gut punch in a weird way. In a weird way. It's not like a typical like emotional gut plunge. Because they didn't do the it's not precious. It's not that bullshit. The precious mm-hmm. was was trauma gumbo. Hated I, I, I not too much of it to hate to hate. I'm not I'm not saying I hate precious, but precious didn't work for me because it just so it felt like cheap. The trauma felt cheap in mm-hmm. my opinion. This comes together so well and again, Tiana Taylor just real neat it in her performance thread. She was amazing. And it just it just worked so well for me. Number two. Across the spider verse. But of course. There you but go. Of course. Uh, what can you what oh, can you brilliant. say? What can you say? This this was just I mean, it, it, art style, you know, across the board. Story was solid. Um the it, it does the exact opposite of uh the flash narrative and it does it better. And to me it has the right answer about that. It su- oh, surprisingly right. sub Surprise, it subverts the, 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 the genre and the material given what they're doing. And you know, it's, it's something everybody and their mother doing multiverse, multiverse, but they do something mm-hmm. really smart and interesting with it in this one. This was the film I wanted the first one to be in terms of focusing on Miles. I find Miles and feel too, truly centered in that one, in my opinion. In this one, he does. And they, 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 they say, my boy say, I'm going to do my own thing. And that was it. <laughs> that, was the, that was the moment. It's like, yeah, they really make it work and, and really comes together brilliantly, in my opinion. And I mean, this movie does look amazing. You know, all the little animation thing they did, like they have Miles and I think Miles in ones and and other characters in twos in terms of animation frame rate and all these little small things add up. Hobie, amazing character played by by Daniel Kaluuya. I mean, everybody come oh, together yeah. so well. Great story. I just really love this and the cliffhanger. Just such a great cliffhanger and really works straight. Like it is, it just does a damn good job with this. It, this was on, on like in terms of hype. It's up there with me with like with Infinity War. They say how oh, the end in Infinity War just had oh, it hyped for yeah, the next one. Yeah. Same thing. And yeah. I, I just came out of that like super hyped, dude. I loved it. And number one, not a surprise, Oppenheimer. Um, yes, yeah. sir. That bomb, dude. That, 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 no one did it, dude. This was excellent for me as a, as a history yeah. nerd. As a history nerd, as a science nerd, and as a, science, as a history of science nerd, it just so damn good. And it, 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 it kind of funny how it's played, because it's played like basically like a, a, a like a Marvel movie almost. Like it's a Marvel movie, but you know, for for scientists of the early twentieth century, that's basically what it felt like. You know, it, it was like yeah, like they had a part with like no, like it had a part with Kurt Godel, right? Just like all scene with Kurt Godel in it. Kurt Godel, the very popular mathematician, arguably one of the best mathematicians ever. And it, it's like he's a Doctor Strange cameo or some bullshit like that. Like, what's going on here? Like, no one knew it, but it was funny. And it was, but it was good. Like, the man just, mm. listen, it was so damn good. Everybody come, you know, pull it together. Nolan was excellent. The bomb sequence, great. And oh. yeah, you know, my boy from Picky Blinders. The man, yeah. the man dropped good it. Lord. Yeah, yeah. The man dropped it. He was a, such a great lead. He just nailed the part perfectly. Great, great conceits. Mm. Uh, the movie have some this little nitpicky issues involved with, like the history of it and the frame. But that's the story. Like it's it's a book. It he mm-hmm. based on the book. Is that so? I don't really find out like stuff like 
you know, you know Indians on the land and them kind of thing, right? That, you know, you had, a, you had a complaint about it. But that's what it is. That was the book and the framing of it. But it was really excellent. And yeah, Gary Oldman's cameo was just so ghoulish and well done. And like, that was selling the movie for me. It's like, everything was going good, eh? Until that last sequence. It's like, all right, we know we, we deal with it here. Great framing, <laughs> great story. Everybody just comes together to it. And yeah, number one, Oppenheimer. Just, uh, in Nolan, Nolan did it. It was really fantastic. It really felt like the culmination of his career. Agreed. Really excellent yeah. stuff. Yeah. Agreed, yeah. Right. Yeah, so nice, nice me for 2003. Right. I got five discoveries and then five best of the year. Okay, right. Cutter's Way, 1981, directed by Ivan Passer. Star, like, pretty much like like a serious version of The Great Lebowski, which sounds like a terrible pitch, but it isn't. Like, you have, like, a noir mis- murder mystery with right, a group of Lebowski, absolute... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, like with a group of absolute misfit characters. Um, Jeff Bridges in it, and you know he's going to be good, but shout out to um, John Hurd, who's also in it. This is absolutely great. Uh, the, the titular Cutter... He's fantastic. Um, most people know him as like Kevin McAllister's dad from Home Alone, but right. he, but he's also, but he's in this fantastic, also great in uh, Paul Schrader's The Cat People. Okay, Missing, nineteen eighty-two, directed by Costa mm-hmm. Gavras, who is kind of on the top of my list of filmmakers who make I didn't know you could do that movies. Uh, drama set against the backdrop of the Chilean coup of nineteen seventy-three, based on a real story, and the film never lets you forget it about a man mm-hmm. who travels to Chile to investigate the disappearance of his son, who was a politically, like, left-leaning, active American journalist. Uh, the dad is played by Jack Lemon. The wife, who's also yeah. still looking for her husband, is played by Sissy Spacek. It is, the score is by, um, oh goodness, the guy who did Chariots of Fire and Blade Runner. Um, Vengless. Vengless, yes. Um, truly fantastic movie, absolutely. It, it, it's harsh, the way the film yep. depicts violence, the way the film depicts um, just the absolute brutality of this regime, and also the chaos of a coup, and also how the film kind of becomes this mystery as like as they're trying to find this man, it ends up kind of getting into America's involvement in the Chilean coup, and the fact that this film is made is put out by an American studio feels like biting the hand that feeds you in such a significant way. Cannot recommend enough. Heaven and Earth, directed uh, from mm-hmm. 1993, directed by Oliver Stone. The, yeah, Big the conclusion. Oh, fantastic! Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Huh. No, absolutely fantastic film. Um, the the conclusion to his um Vietnam War trilogy with uh Platoon and uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Although honestly, with with Oliver Stone, you could kind of make the argument that the Vietnam War kind of hangs over his whole body of work. But yeah. Based on the books, When Heaven and Earth Changed Places and Child of War, Woman of Peace, both written by Lei Li Hayslip, I believe is how you pronounce the name, um, based on her own life, tells the story of a woman growing up in Vietnam during the, the, the conflicts with the French, the, the Civil War, the American involved, and then, like the, and then the, the Vietnam War as we know it, but always told from this very personal perspective. Again, harsh, brutal. There is a lot of, like, and not just in the fact that, like, you get to see how much like like you get to see like what a woman in that environment went through goes through and all that and all the different personal dynamics but even just like beyond the war itself her life and all the different ups and downs this whole period where she's married to an american gi played by tommy lee jones and that's a whole he's phenomenal in that but that like that whole bit is a really interesting yeah it's a, it's a nice it's a nice companion piece to something like say the quiet american if you remember that from early 2000s yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It had, had a same kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Brando, yeah. 
Yeah, that it it keeps kind of floatiness to the whole scenario. It's like mm-hmm. mm, you understand what's going on here. Like you, you get why it didn't it didn't just start just sooner. Like it's it's some real plan went into that. Yeah, it's like and it's and it's so like phenomenally well executed. Again, absolutely brutal. Also meditative and reflective in a really great way. Um, yeah. Um, like Oliver Stone at the time was a practicing Buddhist, and there's kind of an element of that. El- of that and right. Like he and the writer and the main character, the writer herself, connected on that particular point. So there's that whole aspect to it. Really good. And then uh, from 2001, this is the one that was. This is uh, this is one that I was watching a from a from I was watching this uh, a video from the channel uh, Lady Knight the Brave. Uh, she was interviewing a man who called Rich Brownstein who had just written a book called Holocaust Cinema Complete, where he did, he looked at over 400 movies, like, well, he tried to make the most complete book on Holocaust cinema ever made. Um, So he looked at over 400 films, both for television, both theatrically, from all over the world, from, like, all these different decades, and, like, just, like, reviewed every single one of them. And in some point in her interviewing him, because they were talking about bad Holocaust films, but she asked him, so of all the films you watched, what is the best Holocaust movie? And he said, my, my pick, Conspiracy, 2001, yeah. right. directed, by, directed by Frank Pearson and released mm-hmm. on HBO, with a cast yeah. including Colin Firth, Kenneth Branagh, Stanley Tucci. The premise mm-hmm. is simple. It's, it's like the most evil version of something like Downton Abbey you could ever imagine, right? Because it's essentially, it's about the meeting where the Nazi high command got together at a nice like a nice country house outside of germany yeah planned the holocaust the script is based on the actual like the only surviving record of the meeting because most records were destroyed yeah um and they shot in the actual house itself and there's this meticulous attention to detail it's a movie that is so vile and so hard to watch Mm -hmm. at times because you're sitting there watching and they they get into Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing with this movie, you don't have you don't have actors. You'll just incredibly side eye from here on in because of that movie oh, like this. Yeah. Stanley Tucci in this, oh my god! Kenneth Branagh in this, like is Kenneth Branagh in this? Swamp. But Tucci, the, Tucci does casual, dude. Like casual is it too? Like, oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think, I think for me, the bit that hit me like a gut punch was Colin Firth's character. Like, right. there's this weird mm-hmm. thing where you think he's like against all this. And then, you, and then he kind of reveals his true colors and no, he's not against what this, he just thinks that they need to go about it in a more legal way. He's right. not, he doesn't, he doesn't care about, like, about Jewish people as people. He cares about the legal precedent that genocide right. would, would say, and that is disgusting. This is a yeah. movie where, like, I had this we, I had this weird involuntary response where I almost threw up at one point just watching, like, nothing gross happens. It's a very cold, distant, yeah. like, very matter-of-fact shot movie. But there's this bizarre i felt this bizarre involuntary nausea at one point while watching it it is one of the most difficult films i watched this year and i cannot cannot recommend it enough like yeah great recommendation but yeah um and then this is like don't have much to say about this one but it's a it's this is a late to the party type movie i I cannot believe i had not seen this before but i highly recommend it um spotlight 2015 directed by tom mccarthy yeah i love this movie absolutely fantastic um Obviously, like, like for me, like as far as being an investigative journalist movie and one that made me realize that, yeah, I probably like this genre a little more than I give myself credit for. I need to watch more. But at the same time, as I have earlier seen um, Tom McCarthy's film, The Station Agent with uh, Peter Dinklage, 
And okay. it's amazing to see the dramatic sense of his dramatic sensibilities, his sense of character, his ability to kind of understate and his attention to writing all translate so well into a movie that like it's kind of perfectly rated. Like it's not underrated. It's not overrated. I think it is perfectly because I think we all agree this is a fantastic movie. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Ruffalo, yeah, Ruffalo is great in this. Like, I was surprised how good Ruffalo he is. is in this. Yeah, Ruffalo is excellent in this. Like, you, you, you forget. Oh, yeah, right. It's, it's Hulk. Oh, yeah, right? Mark forget. Ruffalo is in this movie. <laughs> he's like, but he's good. He's good in this. Really good. Good. Yeah, that is great. When he had the meltdown, he's like, you know, come oh, on. Yeah, like, get serious about this dread. That meltdown scene is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like every single, it's an ensemble cast, but every single character has a great dramatic moment and i kind of love that for ensemble on ensemble films i have a weakness for that kind of thing but then here we are uh five best films of the year and there were quite a few honorable mentions but i feel like i tried to shout them out when you guys brought them up like uh spider-verse dungeons and dragons things like that but like like films i also would have like also or blue beetle films that i also gave nines and tens but they just really love but my personal favorites top five of 2023 uh number five taylor swift the eras tour Nice. Uh, I, I, I was going to see it, but because um, it's out <laughs> on the show right now, but I didn't I, get any time, I unfortunately. To put, I, I, it slipped my mind to put this in the, um, <laughs> in the honorable mentions, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... For me, I just... Appre- I feel like there's the two layers to it that I said in, in the review, in, in my review with Matthew, uh, in, in my review with everyone a few months ago, I, like, I stand by what I said. It works on two levels. It works as a metatextual, like like looking back and celebration of her career up until this point in its entirety in all of its like in in all of it but at the same time it also works if you're someone like you know someone like like Matthew himself acknowledged like someone who's a little less into it well this is also a great film as like an introductory thing like here is kind of like a little bit of each of the different albums if there's certain like it I almost feel like you're you're supposed to watch and have certain songs that you like more than others because it's like well go check out that album because it's more of like that kind of and she gives such a good job of giving you the vibes for each of the different albums and it does create such that a brilliant stadium concert experience especially for someone like myself who mm-hmm. you know even if I had the means stadium concerts seem especially unappealing to me but the way it's shot fantastic cannot recommend it enough Number four, I think I think if I remember correctly, yeah, all the rest of these are from directors. Like three of these are from directors that I already loved, and the one of them is from a director that I had to reevaluate because of this movie. And some people kind of know this one already. But uh-huh. number four, uh, but number four, a director I already love, but man, he blew me away yet again. James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. But mm-hmm. of course. Absolutely. Yes, I feel like yes, every year James Gunn has released a movie since Guardians Volume 2 came out. It has somehow made its way, like Guardians Volume 2, it has somehow made its way into my top five. And I, unless the man has some absolute left turn out of nowhere, I don't see that changing anytime soon because like yeah. he, he only gets better. I was thinking about that as I'm thinking about, because I actually am working on a whole paper essay um, where I, because I want to look at the Guardians trilogy as a trilogy and how the the construction is absolutely flawless from a narratology perspective as a trilogy, and the thing that blows my mind is if you watch them, you can see the progression of a filmmaker who only gets more confident, more sure of himself, more bold, and even like starts to like play with certain things. Like I, the way the dynamism with which three is shot compared mm-hmm. to two and one is breathtaking and two 
was absolutely breathtaking compared to one. And he just and then like boy, the action scenes are done, the 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 the, the violence, the um MCU's first F bomb. Yeah, just right. like the humor is razor sharp, as always. The performances. This man met and I'm a super fan. Like I've obsessively rewatched the first two movies, especially the second, many times. And this man still managed to make have there be plot developments in the third movie, like conclusions to arcs that I didn't expect. But looking back, I'm going, wait, that actually makes complete sense. Wait, yeah. that's what we've been building to this whole time. Oh my god, this man is a genius. Um, number three, Killers of the Flower Moon, Harden Scorsese. Uh-huh. Nice. I, I, Again, I, I... my problem with Scorsese is that every time, every time anyone asks me what my favorite Scorsese movies, it always ends up being the last one I saw because this man. <laughs> No, this every time, like it, whether it's looking at older stuff, whether it's like new things he has coming out, he's a genius. And like he only, again, like so, like like all the best artists, he only gets better at his craft as he gets older. He only gets more like more reflexive. Like he handles he handles more complex. Like this is a man starting from pretty high, although like obviously even he would say his early early career was a little rough. But this is a man who started off in a great place. And somehow still manages to only get better as he gets older. Like, his themes are more reflexive. His craft is the best it's ever been. From a technical standpoint, whether it's both the confidence of it and just the technical competency of it, his work, Colors of the Flower Moon, is his best work that, like, yet. And I thought that about, like, I thought that about Silence, too. And he still manages to blow Silence out of the water just from an absolute technical perspective. Uh Like, and then he still tries completely new things. Like, I any artist who is as old as Scorsese is, who is still not only refining his craft, but still experimenting with new things, will always I'm, have I'm, legacy. I'm shocked that somebody his age gave us Wolf of Wall Street. Right? Like, like whatever yeah. my thoughts on Wolf of Wall Street, I'm still sit, I'm yeah. still impressed on it. Yeah, how, like, wild, someone... how wild a movie was. Like, geez, oh, yeah. Like, and, right? then his, and then his run from Wolf of Wall Street has, has not missed. Like, mm-hmm. not a miss since Wolf of Wall Street. And it's, what, what is happening? Um, so, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. Number two, not quite number one, but almost there. Number two, a filmmaker who made me completely reevaluate the way I think about him and even about the subject he was tackling in this movie. But Oppenheimer, of course, directed yes. by Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan. Nice. Before this year, brilliant, if you brilliant. had asked me what my thoughts on Christopher Nolan was, I would have told you he was overrated. I would have said, "Oh, this man is boring. He doesn't make movies that are like, like his best, like his best films are intriguing, but his best films are things like, like, like I would have said his, if you had asked me, like his best film was, um, uh, the one he did with Guy Pierce was earlier on in his career, Memento. Memento, Memento, yeah. Like that was my favorite of his. Like, uh, you, you can leave right. Batman. I never even got around to Dunkirk, and then Oppenheimer right. happened. And I'm like, okay, now I gotta go back and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go check out, I gotta check out all the stuff I missed because I missed something. <laughs> like, what happened here? <laughs> like, yeah, no, and I love, I love a filmmaker who, any artist who forces me to reevaluate the way I thought about them. Anyone who can be like, I think you took me for granted. Boom. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I need to go think. I need to go sit and think. Mm-hmm. Also, just the film also interest like. Even the film itself captivated me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like I, I, I don't know very much about Oppenheimer. I didn't know very much about the. I mean, I knew a little bit about the development of the bomb, but like, I didn't know like 
the most, and I wasn't like there are other things that I am more interested in, and yet I am compelled for three hours, and and I'm still in that place where like I want to know more. Like I'm I'm actually curious. I'm like actually caught up in all these different all these different figures and in Oppenheimer himself, and that last line, that last line yeah, of the movie, yeah. I haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw the movie. Even other movies, even like other ones on this list that are probably like higher on my, I made it onto my list of like all time favorites. There are movies, but I still can't unthink that line that just kind of lives in in the front of my brain and the way that Cillian Murphy delivers it. Another person I need to check out more of, apparently. And just very slept on. (laughs) Just everything. But then. That brings me to, and this may be recency bias, who knows, it might go down later, but at this moment, if you ask me what my favorite new film of 2023 was, as of now, Priscilla. Sophia wow, wow. Nice, okay, nice. I no, thought nice. you were going to, you know, okay. say, say Barbie, but, you know. So. No, no, I love Barbie, don't get me wrong, like, absolutely, Barbie was another, on, on, another. Uh, it was, it was my honorable good. mention, honorable mention, I had really yeah. dug into, it was right. smart, the, the smart decisions. Oh, I, I, I feel yeah. bad that I didn't see it in time for this but list, one, but... thing, one thing I liked about this, what I got about, to mention about Priscilla, right, he, okay, so mm-hmm. we had, we had, uh, the Baz, Baz, version of... Durham, is it? Yes, Baz, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Baz Luhrmann's version of um, right of of Elvis Presley, but this one plays him straight. So that's the caricature mm. of Elvis. This one is the real Elvis, and this dude was great too as Elvis. Oh, so Jacob Elordi. Oh my god. Yeah, mm. I was like, but I, like, the first thing I noticed because he, look, the the other one, I forget the actor, the Hindu. Austin Butler. Right now. Butler, Austin right, thank Butler. you. Yeah. Yeah. He he's a caricature of Elvis. He plays Elvis good, but I see what the yeah. popular oh, 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 that version. Right, he plays <laughs> this the guy. Yeah. The myth, yeah. right? This guy is like, yeah, Belvis was kind of a weird asshole when you're ready to think about it. Right. And they, they nailed no. that. They it's nailed that. So... <laughs> I this movie, Jared. Yeah. That's some super uncomfortable moments in this too. Because, like, everybody had a big age gap now, so it's like, right. Oh, so yeah, that, yeah, no. Yeah. And, like, here's yeah. the thing about the movie the movie is so confrontational with that fact. Like, the movie yes. does not <laughs> let you forget the age gap and how uncomfortable. Like, not just the age yeah. gap, but the power imbalance. Yeah. Like, the fact that, like, not only is she like, so much younger than him, but also, like, he is Elvis Presley at some of the peak of right. his popularity. And yeah. she is defined by the world at large as, like, Elvis's wife. Like, yeah. oh, that's, 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 the person on, that's the person on Elvis's arm. And the movie does such a good job of putting you within her perspective. Yeah. And you, like, and, like, so, I, I, a couple critics have said that um, Sofia Coppola's thematic interest is Gilded Cages. And I cannot think of a movie that summarizes that better than better yeah. than Priscilla. Because like when when she first gets to Graceland, you because again you're in her perspective, you do feel that excitement. You do feel that oh my god, it's, yeah. it's Graceland. This where else? An hour later, you hate yeah. this place. You hate yeah. it for <laughs> Like you you are like you you see. Especially since the film does such a good job of like keeping the camera mostly inside. There's a lot of looking out through windows. There's a lot of repeating shots of similar locations over and over to emphasize this monotony and this captive, imprisoned feeling. And and then like and then like and it's weird because it balances between and I think I I, I want to read her book like her book so so badly because the movie does this great job of oscillating between um you know when Elvis is not there 
how how lonely right. she is and how like absolutely alone and lonely and with no one to talk to with no one to associate with she is and like how devastating that is but then when he's there it's not better it's not great it's not i will never recover from the scene where the pillow she, fight well, well, that oh, the fight scene, the, the 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 scenes are just absolutely like the bit where he, the bit where he throws the chair at her is absolutely like oh I I oof. But then the bit where, you know, it is revealed and is announced that she is like pregnant with his child, and then he starts talking about maybe he wants a break from the relationship. I couldn't. I I I I was in. I was furious in so many ways, especially since it comes so late in the movie, where like, you know, you've been you've she's been his his prisoner, his pet almost his like and then like you get to that point it's like i'm furious which is why it builds and lands on the most satisfying ending to a movie i've seen and this was a year where we're like guardians of the galaxy's last scene is really satisfying and really deeply satisfying and it feels like you like the culmination of a trilogy of stuff but priscilla's finale is deeply emotionally satisfying. And that needle drop, I cried in the movie theater when I realized what the needle drop was and the full implication of it hit me. And as she, like, and, and as she just, oh my God, no, no. Priscilla, best film of the year, bar none. Um, and this was a year with some diff competition. Like, this was a qual, like, yeah, we had a lot of flops. We had a lot of, like, quantum manias and indiana jones fives but like there was also some absolutely stiff competition this year and i and even in a year of stiff competition priscilla is the one that i am still like one of the ones i am still raving about wow well well, you you've you've had you you pretty much have me very excited to see that show Um, again i wanted to see in time for this but time you know what i mean but i i, I will check it mm-hmm. out because i have a feeling we're going to be hearing about that come oscar season right and i'm going to talk okay. about that with, with my list which i'm going to start off with immediately right mm-hmm. so uh number 10 the holdovers um you nice. expect to hear about this come oscar season yeah um from paul giamatti to dominic sessa to um davine joy randolph um i, I said in my yeah. review i believe all three will get oscar noms um I know a lot of people are riding on Devine to win Best Supporting Actress. Um, and I'd be happy if she does, right? But yeah, as far as just a Christmas film, as just, you know, exploring these characters and how they deal with loneliness and how they just find unity and, you know, they find that that uh, camaraderie. Yeah, it, it works. It's very heartfelt and, you know, just endearing and not as mean-spirited as its rating might, might lead you to incline, right? But yeah, great film. Number nine, uh, Past Lives. Such a great romantic drama, man. Wow. And especially the end really, really hit me, right? And just the premise of it, you know, I can relate to, you know, this the, the whole idea of, you know, what if, you know, things played out differently and I was with this person, but, you know, it didn't play out. But what if you, you know, met with that person again and you're in a different place? How would you feel and how would that other person feel, right? I just love how they explore that, you know, very well, well put together film. Um, also, I believe that will get some Oscar buzz some way, shape or form, right? So, uh, CC, I see your Taylor Swift, the era store, and I raise you, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. That's okay. my number eight. <laughs> I saw this on big screen. Don't mind. I had to pay 100 TT to see it, but hey, it was all good. Yeah. Um, but wow. I had an absolute blast. And this is coming from, from, from somebody who loved Renaissance, the album itself. That was actually my top 10 as far as best albums of 2022 goes. Yeah, and just seeing it 
um, you know, executed or I should say performed was great. But there was also like this great behind the scenes look at Beyonce and her life and where she is, not just as a wife, but as a mother as well too, right? And, and as a performer and where she, you know, how satisfied she pretty much is, right? But yeah, it was just an absolute blast just hearing that, just the music that's blasting through those speakers. And yes, I could forgive the, the, the um, I could forgive the ticket price because yes, I was entertained from start to end. Absolutely love that film, right? Number seven, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Oh. Yes, leave, leave, leave it to Tom Cruise to, okay. to get wow. us to, 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 to go back to the Bobby theaters, with that right? tool. Yeah, Bobby with that too, right? And on that bike as well too, because <laughs> yes, even when you see it in the trailer, you do your jaw, you, you know, you sort of lose your breath. But when I, well, sorry, you, you, your jaw drops a bit. But when I saw it theatrically, I lost my breath. Yes, I'm talking about that moment where he drives off that cliff here. I was like, <gasps> you know what I mean? Even though I know he's going to be uh, okay, right? But, you know, it, it was great, right? And, you know, uh, I can understand why, you know, well, why it has to be a part one. But I kind of like it in the sense that <laughs> it's sort of treated like a TV, like the TV series that it was based on. It's a to-be-continued, right? It's a two-parter, right? That's pretty much what it is, right? right? But yeah, Tom Cruise and, you know, Christopher McQuarrie still find ways to just evolve and just keep this this franchise going strong, man. Right. I don't know what's, how things right. are going to play out right. after part two, but hey, I, I guess you'll see, right? Number six, mm-hmm. please forgive me for the placement for this, but, you know, I, I really wanted to put it here nonetheless. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, man. Um, talk about nice. a great there we way go. to conclude the series. Mm-hmm. Um, James Gunn just took bold risks. This is the mere fact that you had Peter Quill say, get in the fucking car. I was like, wow, <laughs> this is where we at, Gunn. This is where we at. All right, boss. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Right. But not just that, but just giving us this menacing, truly menacing villain, though. And just fleshing yeah. out uh, Raccoon, well, Rocket's story so much, boy, like to the point of bringing out the Mantis out of me, boy. Um, and yet still, yeah. it was just loud, it was entertaining. Um, the needle drop, the the, the, be- the Beastie Boys needle drop, though. Um, that sequence yeah. alone is one of the most thrilling things I've seen all year, man. <laughs> and it was just James Gunn just ending off his trilogy with an absolute bang, man. I can't be mad at that, right? Number five, yeah. forgive me, Tracy, for the placement. Bobby, yes, as I said before, this is destined to be a cult classic, man. Um, Mm -hmm. Just from the dialogue, from the weirdness. I just like shows that just bold enough to say, yeah, we're going to be weird and silly, but we're going to have a lot of heart and humor to it, right? Yes. Uh, Margot Robbie is stereotypical Bobby, you know what I mean? And it's just all these great, you know, um, secondary uh, actors or whatnot, right? Whether it's Issa Rae, whether it's um, Kate McKinnon, and of course, you know, um, Ryan Gosling, who absolutely killed it as... um, as, as Ken, right? And I'll close to this, right? You know, because this is where I'm going to be talking about Oscar stuff now. Um, Billy Eilish, what, what was I mean for? I could see this yes. being nominated yeah. for her best song. I know she won for the team for um, No Time to Die, which I wasn't really a big fan of, to be honest. But I could see a win <laughs> for, for this. I could see a win for this. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, number four. I don't know why any. It, no, I don't know why nobody mentioned this boy, but um, John Wick Chapter Four, boy, like that had to be my number well, four. That was, boy. Yeah. that was my number. That was my my thing. Oh, uh, in your um honorables. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. All right. Well, well, my bad, my bad. Right, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. as I said, in my review, Chad Stahelski, boy. Um, remember that name? He is going to go down as one of the, uh, one of the best action filmmakers 
ever. You, you could put him up there right now with the John Woos and, I don't know, the Sui Hawks and all those guys, right? Um, mm-hmm. He just killed it, though. He stepped his game up. He stepped this franchise up, though. And, you know, while I want to think that this this is the, 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 the last chapter of, you know, the John Wick saga, I mean, we know we had that Continental prequel, which nobody asked for, and I heard that was trash, so I didn't even bother to watch that. But, yeah, talk about a hell of a way to end this series, right? Uh, you can talk about, you know, Keanu Reeves' stoic performance for days, but I thought that he rose to the occasion. Um, Donnie Yen was a badass shot, though. And for me, it, what I just really love about it, though, is that even though it is just this revenge, this this action-packed bullet riddle, you know, uh, revenge film, um, they, they make sure to make this shit look gorgeous, though. This has some fantastic well, so, cinematography uh, yeah. in it, to the point that I just watched the shot. Yeah, hotline like, Miami sequence, right? Yes, yes, they did, and it was badass, too, right? Yeah. Um, to the point I'm just watching shows like you know, you're 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 just showing off right now. You're 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 just showing off. You're you're just you're just hey, look at me and look at all these great shots. I'm I'm filming in Paris. Look at the Eiffel Tower. Man. You know why we have this this epic gun duel. Look at me, ha <laughs> ha. But nah, I was like, yeah, flaunt that shit, right? flaunt that shit. He he killed it. Everybody killed it. Love that film, right? Number three, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Talk yep, about stepping the game up. Talk, mm-hmm. talk about raising the bar. Um, it was the bar was raised so high way that Paramount watched them, and I know that the film was made around the same time. Paramount watched them. It's like, all right, all right, this this is what we had, and then they dropped you know Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Drake. You could tell, right. like yeah, right. like like those guys watch what they did with um, Into the Spider Verse and say, okay, this is how the bar is. All right, we we yeah, we, we're gonna do yeah. our own thing. You know what I mean? But yeah, um, <laughs> this this show kept you know just has. Just so much intri- uh, in- intricate moments, so just so much bits and pieces of things that that you know you wouldn't notice upon first listen, uh, first viewing. Sorry, but yeah, um, story wise, animation wise, voice, um, vocal wise, music wise, right? Because uh, as I mentioned, my my music list, my best albums list, love the soundtrack. That actually made it to my to my top twenty, right? And the, the cliffhanger boy, holy shit, holy shit! I cannot wait for this. I cannot wait for. You know, uh, what is this, way? I, I forget. Is that is into and across and beyond? I think it's beyond. It's beyond yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, number two and number one could be interchangeable for me. And here's where I'm going to talk about Oscar stuff. Also, speaking of Oscar stuff, um, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse for 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 for, for best animated feature, please. It better. I mean, I mean yeah. into into one. The first into one. one. First one. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Into one. one. So I mean, across, like across, right? I mean, it's obvious, right? Yeah. Right. But yeah, one and two uh, are interchangeable in my opinion. But I'm just going off of the one that really hit me the most as my number one, right? So number two is Oppenheimer, man. Um, Nolan yeah. delivered his magnum Great. opus with this film. Um, and I, I actually recapped this and the and my number one film, um, you know, in preparation for this, right? And I'm just amazed at just how, you know, like it, it, it really takes a, a strong mind, though, to just put all these elements together. I'm talking about direction, I'm talking about cinematography, music, acting, all that stuff though. And you could tell that Nolan really had a part to play in just making sure everything was just fluid from top to bottom, right? Um, right. Just calling out the, out the gate, you know, um, Ricardo agreed to disagree. Killian Murphy for best actor, hands down. Best cinematography. Yeah, probably. See if you get I know, non- I mean, Robert Downey. Yeah, Robert Downey, best but, supporting actor. Yeah, Robert Downey and Robert De Niro might compete against each other for best supporting. Yeah. Best film editing. I am rooting for Oppenheim. I'm I'm rooting for this though. Like the editing for this boy, my god though, you know, it's so so superb, right? And uh, I know there's others I can mention too, but I have to mention the obvious one. Best 
sound design, boy. I am just watching this yeah. and I'm hearing the yeah. sound. And this is before we even get to like the, the actual test, right? And when it went and, and I'm just amazed at just how they use sound here, right? But yeah, when you get to the test, boy, and I, I'm really glad that you got to, to see it. Uh, uh, you watched it in IMAX Ricardo, boy, because yeah, like even at home, I was taken back to when I saw it and heard it for the first time with the explosion and how they how they execute that though. That was just amazing. But yeah, I could gush on for days about this, but yeah, Oppenheimer is fantastic, right? But I would say, right, the reason why I kind of have it interchangeable is that while my number one pick, you know, it's more in the traditional style of how filmmaking is, I could see Oppenheimer as a pure example of how to take that classical style of filmmaking and modernize it, make it feel contemporary, make it feel fresh so that, you know, future generations could watch something like Oppenheimer and be like, ah, this is how you use editing, right? Uh, this is how, okay, I, I like this. It's different, but I like this, right? But for me, number one was a show that I would, that I sat through from start to the end. And when I say end, I mean three hours. I, I, I meant when it reached the yeah. three hour, 24 minute mark. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Killers mm-hmm. of the Flower Moon is my pick for nice best movie day. of the year. And I call this nice one job. time, this is my pick for best picture when it comes to next year's Oscars. But um, I hope so. I felt that passion that 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 score um, Scorsese he had for this, right? And I'm gonna say this, right? This these these two could go head to head, Dred, for best yeah. adapted screenplay. Dred. Like I, I was amazed so. at what Nolan did because Nolan co-wrote the script of Another Mistake for Oppenheimer, right? I was amazed right. at how he adapted America, uh, 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 American uh, Prometheus, right? But I was even more amazed at how Scorsese and his co-writer adapted the, the Killers of the Flower Moon book, right? And 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 how they reframed mm-hmm. it, you know, from the you know shifting from the FBI's perspective to that of the yeah. the people involved, right? It was was great. Um, Lily Gladstone, best actress. Calling it out one time, best actress, right? Uh, Leonardo mm-hmm. DiCaprio for best actor. Eh, not yeah, really, yeah. but I I really did enjoy the performance, right? Um, and Robert De Niro, yeah, yeah I I want to see the Roberts go head to head, but yeah, De Niro, yeah, and Downey Jr. Bring it on, <laughs> bring it on, right? But yeah, this was just a fantastic story. It was just so well told. It was you know, and and again, this is as I said, CC. Um, this is Scorsese mm-hmm. at what age eighty, and he is still bringing Oof. that energy. He's still bringing mm-hmm. that realness. He's oh still bringing God. that creativity to the table when it comes to this. Though so oh, yeah, well no. directed, it, so well written, mm-hmm. so well structured, everything about this movie works. Even right down to the end, that still hits me so deep. Uh, uh, hits me so hard, I should say. Every uh, well, the second time I saw it, man. But yeah, mm-hmm. expect to hear. Uh, I, I am rooting for this to win Best Picture. But I will be happy if Oppenheimer wins Best Picture. I think that that will be yeah. like, oh wow, like like again, yeah, you know, we, we don't we could we could break away from the traditional norm and do something a little bit more experimental. I like that, right? But I do honestly think that you know the Academy will be charitable to Scorsese and give it to um, give you know make um, killers win, right? I'll close this, right? Uh, even an even bigger head to head that I want to see out of this though is Nolan. And Scorsese go up for best director, right? like I, I would love to see how that. Oh, that's up, right? hard. <laughs> and in my, in my head, I'm rooting for Nolan. I want Nolan to win. I want Nolan to win. But if Scorsese wins, I'll be happy nonetheless. So I'm rooting for both of them. If either one of them right. win, I'll be so happy, man. But yeah, we got two great movies out of them. But for me personally, Killers of the Flower Moon, hands down, is the best thing that I've seen all year. Love that film. Can't recommend right. it enough. Um and I just just lastly it tells the runtime yes they're long but don't say oh they're too long so I can't watch those because they're too long 
No, it's just the story is so well told, but you can now watch it in the comfort of your house. You can do like me and pause the show when you're feeling the, the little dr- lull and whatnot. Go do something, come back and watch it. But trust me, um, once you engage, though, um, it, it'll probably be really hard for you to pause either show because okay. they're so, so, so great, right? But yeah, that's that's my list. Kills the Flower Moon, number one. But in, you know, maybe in, in, in um, on, on other days, it could be Oppenheim, right? So I just love the fact that I have right. two of them. But I did not want to tie them. I felt, it, I, I personally feel it would be unfair if I tie the two of them. But they're still masterpieces, in my opinion. So I can't recommend those either. Nice man. But yeah, man. Um, it, it was great once again. You know, chatting about you know best mm-hmm. stuff and worst stuff with you guys. So thank yeah. you so much for coming through. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, twenty twenty three was a pretty great year for for movies, nonetheless. Yes. Right. I mean, we saw the end of the DCEU and we saw some other things take place, but you know, we still got some great films out of that, right? And I'll just close to this, right? Um, this like for me, the biggest highlight of twenty twenty three, um, cinema wise, has to be Barbenheimer. The mere fact that. Yeah. People went in droves to see yeah. about a man yeah, who pretty absolutely. much brought about. Yeah, no, you know, but Barbian, ba- ba- I think it's between Barbian and Barbian Maris like were the only two movies that made a billion this year. I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, across yeah. a billion. Mm. But yeah, but, but, I, but, but I mean, two yeah. shows who are, which are which are significantly different, but also similar mm-hmm. at the same time, right? When you really think about that, I mean, that that to me is the biggest highlight, uh, movie wise mm-hmm. of the year, mm-hmm. but done, man. You know, so yeah. Is this is this going to be the first year where the animated film that like makes over a billion isn't a Disney movie in a hey. while? Look at that, yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. But yeah, this, <laughs> this, this, this was a really interesting year as, as far as film goes. Wow. So, yeah, so I don't know what we're going to get come 2024, but yeah, here, here's to some more fantastic films and, you know, God willing, we can meet up, you know, before year's end and, you know, share our thoughts on, you know, a majority of them, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty much about it. So once again, guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you're listening to this. This was Machibili and Ricardo Medina. Thanks again for coming through. Yep, yep, we yep. had a great year mm-hmm. of BBB Radio. Here's to another year. Uh, CC Lover, thank you so much for coming through and dropping those film discoveries, man. This is why I watched you there in the first space, man. You know, just just hearing that passion <laughs> uh, when it comes to you know your 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 cinephilia. You know, what I mean, inspires me. Oh, yeah. A real talk, it really oh, does thanks, inspire man. me, right? And, and Tracy, of course, you know, I, I, I know, you know, you, you went through, you know, your little troubles with the under the weather and whatnot, but I'm still glad that you oh, still God, came yeah. through to, to, to gut yeah. your favorite films, man. And, you know, prayers up, you know, come 2024. Anything. Yeah, I mean, here's to another Barbenheimer or something of a similar manner. You know what I mean? I, I don't know what we're going to yeah. get next, but I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for 2024, man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, same, that, same. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure, for sure. There's some, I'm, there's some absolute gems, like films that are coming out next year that I'm really like. We're not ready for Dune Part Two, I don't think. The I Dune think. Part Two, I'm losing my mind for about. And then like, I'm excited for the Bike Riders, and then there was another one that I'm really excited that's coming out Furiosa next year. Furiosa coming out next year? Yes, yeah, Furiosa also yes, coming yes, out yes, next right, year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so we're gonna get some, we're gonna get some some slaps. We're gonna get some bangers next year, and oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for that, right? So until next mm-hmm. one, take care. You know, Caesar's greetings. Right. Have a happy and safe and blessed 2024 and have a happy new year nonetheless. Take care until the next one. Peace. Peace out. Yeah. <laughs>